0: Hey boomers, welcome to Sonic the Comic, the podcast, your online guide to the Sega Sational world of Sega and Sonic the Comic. Hosted by me, Dave Ballmer. And me, Chris McFeely. And this episode,
1: we're looking at issue 13. Unlucky for some, not for us. <laughs> Because this
0: week, I joined Dave in the Cool Kids Club. Yes! Physical copies. Ooh, baby! That's right. As Chris speaks, I am seeing on his webcam the advert for Trio on the back of his copy of the comic. I think we've covered that one before and don't need to again. But it's physical. Physical. <laughs> I it's was real out. go on <laughs> trio. <laughs> no. so no, no, no. issue 13 we've got a free gift we've we got do. two new series and we've got a great new compo Combo. literally what more could we ask for not much i tell you what it's all good <laughs> the free gift itself Hmm. Um,
1: well, the free gift is an STC belt clip, mm. which... Now, as an 11-year-old, I don't think I'd actually moved on to wearing belts yet.
0: No, mean neither, and even as a man who has worn belts regularly for many, many years... I still couldn't quite tell you what a belt clip is, having not seen one in the wild. Perhaps it was a 90s thing. Perhaps it was a this issue of this comic thing. Mm-hmm. And when we get to the control zone, there's going to be further comment on that. Yes. That, <laughs> ambiguity. That's what I like about it. You see, to describe <laughs> the the free gift for you. Yes. Sellotape to the front of the cover. And I still have my sellotape here. Do you? No, no. You, there's an ickle, an ickle,
1: ickle, ickle tear. But it's always been removed quite, quite yes, nice. Yes, I Not so much too on the back.
0: have a little tear right next to the barcode. They're bigger than yours. Uh, yeah, but check out the back. Uh, oh, heck. Yeah. No, my back's immaculate and has the tape still on it. This is great radio. Isn't it great? And- <laughs> Listen, we're having fun <laughs> because we're both holding these gigantic comics in our hands. They're so big. We were just talking before we started about how big it is. Yeah.
1: Sitting down with this as the first physical copy for an episode, there was something very, I don't know if transportative is a word, but I was transported. Transported. <laughs> So the belt clip is made of flexible yellow rubber, um, and it was a triangular shape. Oh, was with it? S T C. It wasn't yeah. a
0: sort of a, a hard vinyl. It was a flexible rubber. Was it? Well, it was
1: probably somewhere between. It hmm. wasn't. It wasn't firm. No, it was definitely, it was flexible enough because it had to curve with your body, obviously, to oh. curve with your belt. Printed on it in black, moulded in as the, the initials of the comic, S-T-C. So, I do love that it was a bespoke free gift. Oh, yes.
0: And very snazzy, very 90s-y looking. Not only were the S, T, and C individually encased in rings. In so- yep. Not not Sonic rings, just black rings. Yeah. Just rings. You gotta be careful when you talking about rings in Sonic. Exactly. But they were um, printed over the top of a, a you know, light like in the STC logo itself, Mm. uh, a big right-pointing triangle. But also there was a kind of a... a sort of a snazzy, like, blown-up version of the C to give it an extra... If you've ever seen the intro to the um, the era of... Uh, children's BBC where they had the big CG cat. It kind of looked like that sort of stuff. Well, in this instance,
1: um, I think it's because they needed to have the extra plastic to secure the actual clip Uh, part of the clip. that's where the
0: clip was. Yes, of course. They
1: call it a clip but it didn't clip down over your belt. You actually threaded your belt through notches in the back of it. Oh, heck. Yeah. If my memory serves me right now I'll be happy for anybody out there to send us in a picture of one to prove me wrong. (laughs) Yes. Uh, But to my memory it was, yeah, you threaded your belt through it. And uh, uh, not that I ever did, because I, I might have put no. it on the strap of one of my
0: school bags. Maybe, but I oh, really? I couldn't swear. I couldn't swear I ever did. I think what I did was I had a belt, and I did slide it on the belt to just, you know, essentially practice what I was supposed to do with it, but not while I was wearing it, I don't think. No, you didn't want punched. I was immune to the concept of shame. Uh, <laughs> <and> it, <laughs> well, I'm from Ireland, so I wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> so I think I would have been prepared to do that. But no, it, it never came around to it. We had a school uniform. Perhaps I feared retribution from a teacher. Oh, from, for, a for child. deviating. Oh, possibly. Yeah. Um, but it says here that on the front cover, under where that would have been, it says, uh, free gift missing. Alert your news agent now, of course. As did anything with a free gift on it. I never understood it. Well, I mean, I, I understood it in the abstract. Was it saying that the
1: news agent might have removed the gift for shelving and that you should ask the news agent so that they could give you it? That's what I sort of assumed.
0: As a child, that was what I assumed. Looking at it now, I assume it means that they'll just give you a different copy of the comic where someone hasn't nicked the free gift off the cover. But Maybe. the free gift on some things that I was getting would be, for example, a free tape that would come with a, you know, a, a computer magazine. Oh, sure. And I, I suspect that with the tapes that were coming with things like, your Sinclair yeah perhaps the news agents did remove them but then they would have had to deal with the sellotape situation themselves yeah unless oh and I've never I've never questioned this was it the job of the news agent to apply the gift to the cover in the first place was it their sellotape no 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 I'm I'm sure they were sent them all packed up well same the only reason I wonder about it is that especially in the case of uh, games magazines that came with a demos tape that would have made it difficult to pack them up because they would all have been funny. You know, they wouldn't have laid flat. But anyway. That is true. Mm. But, hmm, you know, Mm. I don't know any news agents
1: out there. I mean, obviously. (laughs) Right in. Obviously today free gifts come packaged with the thing, which is what would make me think it was always like that. But if there are any news agents or children of news agents out there who knew (laughs) how it worked and if they just came fucked in the box with this free gift <laughs> stuck on them do let us know and this is
0: the issue where the price went up this went up to 110 and it says here as well as the free stc belt clip which is listed as hot fashion wear for gamers mm. oh, is that an, an, an early example of the word gamers didn't realize we'd come up with it back then <sighs> i guess ah we probably had it all along Eh, people who played chess were probably gamers, were <laughs> Probably, they? as I was thinking. Presenting Echo, hey! STC's newest superstar, and of course the, the illustration. Yeah, we haven't here. actually described the illustration on the cover, have I mean, we? It's a funny one, because on the one hand, it's a, uh, you know, up till now, we've had a, a Shinobi cover, mm. a Streets of Rage cover, and it was a full cover featuring those characters. Here we have what is almost a full cover featuring echo he's splashing out of an ocean and, and doing an almost a sort of a you know that kind of the way that they dive and go down again yeah. but it's kind of presented almost like he's taking a bow isn't it I mean, he's posing um, for the camera he's posing for the camera and doing a little smile but underneath him is Sonic, uh, yeah. also posing, looking up at Echo, giving him the attention, but doing, doing his own... Doing the finger. Doing the finger, doing the crossed legs. The Sonic finger, and on ladies him. and gentlemen. Uh, yes, not the more widely not recognized nice finger, <laughs> finger, which also he didn't do in the anime, by the way. Oh, gracious. <laughs> i like sonic being on the
1: cover actually because it's a little bit welcome to the comic echo it is isn't it he's being inducted here's the newest star of sonic the comic and sonic because we've never i don't think don't think they would ever actually do it again i don't think so either but uh, it's funny actually I i was just thinking off the back of this i was like shinobi had a cover golden axe had a cover wonder boy had a cover streets of rage had a cover my boy Kid Chameleon didn't get
0: no cover. Oh, that's Tragic. true.
1: And Decap Attack's had two covers!
0: Yeah, and are you looking ahead as well into the future? Does he get a cover later?
1: Uh, I don't think so. I feel like by the time Kid Chameleon came back, they might have given up doing covers about the other characters. It just uh. was all Sonic all the time on the cover. Can't
0: swear, though. We'll find out in years to come. So, <laughs> we... Oh, and last little detail. New Goldaxx starts inside. Yeah quite excited i have to
1: say <laughs> i had forgotten that golden axe came back as quickly as it did it's but very quick it uh yeah just the one gap in between and to think mm. um, and i think then shinobi will come back um then after that he'll be back right but uh, comparatively the space between for instance the two echo stories is quite a wide difference it kind of never surprised me that Golden Axe never came back for a third serial. Like I'm not ripping on Golden Axe. We actually came. To, we we kind of warmed to the charm. Of yeah, Axe I liked the it end by end. the by the end of the first serial but um, I think it was obvious enough that this one had gone into production right after the first one had ended before they'd had a lot of feedback and it never really surprised me that it never came back for a third one. It always felt a little bit like it belonged in another comic. It was, uh, it, was a, it was a kind of a strip from another time. It didn't quite have the, the modern edge that a lot of the other stuff in Sonic the Comic did so it never truly surprised me that it didn't come back for a third go round. Also I suppose Golden Axe as a, a banner thing for the Mega Drive was probably on the way out at this point. Yeah
0: it, it feels like an earlier stage of mega drive than what we're working with at the moment doesn't it yeah like a bit of a altered beast yeah but we'll get on to talking more about it later in the issue control zone Control zone. we have the welcome screen as we do every fortnight um which uh, this time defines boomers again yeah you notice that but obliquely he says uh hey boomers and especially warm welcome to new boomers joining us with this thrill-packed issue of stc where have you been don't worry it's not too late to join the mass ranks of boomers brackets that's megadroid speak for pals buddies and readers of stc And this is a great issue to do it with. Doesn't really explain why they're called boomers. Uh, Luckily, that's covered in a moment. Yeah, it is. It's a funny
1: one, though. I like that they took the moment to to do that with this issue. Obviously, any issue can be somebody's first. But this is one that... It's not quite the same as whenever we jumped from issue 6 to issue 7. You know, when we went Mm. from level 1 to level (laughs) 2. Yes. There was a very tangible change that happened at that point. This is not particularly different but with it with two new serials starting and the first free gift since the start of it and the change in price as well there was enough stuff going on that this this was a little a little mid-season change up
0: <laughs> that's right and it, it creates the welcome impression that uh sonic the comic is something that's going to be constantly changing and evolving and mm. in flux and there's going to be new things happening more or less whenever you blink so that's nice
1: yeah otherwise megadroid really just describes what we, what we described <laughs> off the cover already two new scripts big contest coming and it um, notes that um, the review zone is going to be shorter this week that's right just one page and there is another free gift next issue as well a sonic yes. i almost they've 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 written it the <laughs> sonic xmas Deco, and i'm like yes was Did you really not have enough space for the, the extra four characters? <laughs> it's just a cool way to write Christmas without... Uh, oh, it was the 90s. We were in love with like the last two or three letters of the alphabet in the 90s, weren't we?
0: That's true. X was very important to us. And I do remember once uh, writing a Christmas card to a, a Christian friend of mine when I, was an edgy. Oh. when I was an edgy teenager. And I did write on it. It was the most pleasant card I could find because the, the joke was that... Uh, even I was uh, far too offensive for my Christian friend. And so I wrote, you know, Merry Christmas. See, nothing offensive on this card. And she, she did point out that I had written Xmas and that that oh. is offensive because it takes the Christ out, out of Christmas. Christmas. Yeah, I got that lecture from a teacher once. Really? Ireland, remember. Heavens to Betsy! We didn't have the likes of that round where I was. Well, I like it wasn't me specifically; it was the class. But, oh, yeah. I see. So you didn't personally? <laughs> no, I mean I might have done it. Right, you you so... weren't influenced by this comic to write Xmas somewhere. Uh, it would have been yeah. before this, so you know mm. I,
1: I was ahead of the curve on the old nineties fascination with X. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> but last thing I, I like uh, find interesting in the welcome screen though is where um, he does tell us that there's going to be the new Echo strip, and he says, "Yes, Boomers, you voted the Finned Wonder as one of the." characters 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 you'd most like to see in an STC strip and we listened just shows you how highly we value your input so keep filling in the data strip at the back of each issue I would love to hear from editor Richard Burton whether there was any truth in that that the data strip had anything to do with the decisions they made
1: I'd say it's it's believable but when it's only the 13th issue you do wonder like they would have had to surely start production
0: on the Echo Strip around the same time as the Streets of Rage stuff and Kid Chameleon was rolling out you're right there I didn't think of that the the front facing sort of uh, explanation that they've been giving us of how they operate is that they have carte blanche to make a strip out of anything as long as it appears on a Sega console probably the Mega Drive in particular and that they have you know total say over that I wonder if Surely there was a certain amount yeah. of editorial coming there mu- from there Sega. Must have been. Sega saying this is selling well. No, this time you're going to yeah yeah. You have to Be assume. Very interested to get on the blower with uh, Burton and find I out feel what he thinks.
1: Like though, in large part, those two things would have intersected anyway. Mm, we were impressionable mm -hmm. children so the big things that were being pushed that everybody was talking about at school or that we were playing or that we were seeing on tv or in adverts would have been the stuff we would have been interested to see anyway because we were dumb kids who were very influential so i feel like it all lines up anyway so everybody would wind up happy yeah maybe for that shining force strip they did years later which was always a weird one i
0: can't even remember that (laughs) um winners take all there's a great new winners take all compo Mm. masses of sonic toys and games For masses of winners, you can't not enter this one, boomers. I managed.
1: (laughs) I (laughs) see him, I think. Yeah, I certainly didn't cut out the coupon as we've talked about before
0: i don't know why i didn't enter the, the you know my, my single most excited i was ever that i ever was about a competition was of course the the blue peter wall of ninja turtles merchandise, or hero turtles merchandise that well i don't think it was just blue peter i think it was across all of cbbc and and never entered that even though it was to win a gigantic like i say a wall stacked high with probably every piece of merchandise they'd made to that time why didn't it occur to me to do things like this, to enter I competitions? Know. I sent in very little art to places like CBBC and, and. I never I did it. I, I
1: sent a picture of Darkwing Duck
0: to see ITV once. <laughs> Oh, I did! or oh, tell a lie! I did submit something to the Heartbeat Gallery at one stage. Oh, didn't yeah. get in, and maybe that experience was what soured me against. That's it. The it. And life. never again did you even try. I only remember entering one competition, and it
1: was one in, in the Transformers uh, comic for for Micromasters, if I remember
0: right. Mm. Didn't win, of course, because no. you never did, did you? You never did did you? Somebody <laughs> did, but it wasn't you. I tell you, I did. I won one. I won I entered a competition to win a Mighty Max Skullmaster set which was mm. a giant the head of the of Mighty Max's enemy yes, Skullmaster which itself it. opened up into a playset. Well, I entered that competition and was it, it it absolutely didn't cross my mind that I could win. So I simply bought the toy and uh, and then won it. So oh. I had an extra set which of I believe course. I believe my mum sequestered for giving away the church raffle.
1: Would you like to hear the story about the one time I won a contest? (laughs) Of course I would. I was out with my brothers and mother shopping for school uniforms. And, of exactly. course, that is the worst experience in the world as <laughs> Yeah. Now, I would have been somewhere in my early to mid-teens.
0: Oh, no, that's the worst. That's
1: absolutely you the worst. You don't so much time.
0: mind when you're a kid because your mum can take you into a changing room and put trousers on for you. you got to do it yourself at that age. Yeah, <laughs> you have no autonomy when yes. you're younger, but whenever you're a teenager, it's
1: the, it is the worst.
0: I don't know what it is, but even to this day, the, being expected to put on trousers in a shop's dressing room is, i i would rather take it home and find out and bring it back i don't um, know
1: why i'm not that bad but uh (laughs) i just generally don't i just wait till birthdays and christmas oh Uh, yes goodness (laughs) me yes so in the boredom uh my brothers found on the counter it was a little raffle it was a box it was like fill in a slip and put it in the box for a draw and the prize was a computer oh my now, goodness me now we all remember that i we didn't have a computer do. until 1990 christmas yeah. 1998 specifically i think i've said 99 before but christmas 98 was when we got the so
0: computer. ordinarily i would be thinking i know the spoilers and that you don't win the competition but i'm getting mixed messages about that, that. that that's the thing uh so i do it and
1: i instantly forget about it and that's <laughs> the key to winning yes a couple of months weeks whatever it was later Knock at the door. Off I go to answer it. There's a fella there at the door. And I said, you know, can I help you? And he says, are you Chris McFeely? And I said, I am. Well, what can I do for you? Me being disarmed by the fact that here's a, a grown human being sort looking for me, a child. Yeah. Clearly my my confusion is visible. And the man says to me, do you remember a couple of months ago when you filled in a contest form? And I go, i do remember that and he's like well you haven't won the first prize
0: Uh, uh. (laughs) i'd
1: won 100 pounds of sports clothing vouchers oh no which is almost as useless as not winning at all oh Um, no what a kick in the nuts yeah but we played (laughs) pe at school so you know
0: yeah you did but that's not you don't want to feel as if you oh that's a disappointment because it's like if someone says you've won 100 pounds and you go and then it's Of the ability to go to school. I did also
1: have like three other brothers who also played sports at school. So if mommy needed to buy
0: regulation uniforms and everything. Chris, this is a wonderful prize as far as your mother is concerned.
1: Oh yeah, but she wasn't (laughs) so cruel that she wouldn't swap me. Ah. Oh,
0: that's wonderful. Yeah, so
1: I was I was able to get some money out oh, of Oh, that's great. Yeah. So it does tie back into the <laughs> long and sordid saga of me trying to get a computer, but that's the one time I ever won anything as a child. Last year, randomly won a Twitter contest for some Yu-Gi-Oh cards I didn't want, but there you go. <laughs> oh no, that's, that's more or less the same situation as a kid. Well, I did get a, I got a Blu-ray and I'm happy with that, <laughs> but there were also some cards that are, Probably around here
0: somewhere still. <laughs> As a kid, winning some gamey cards would have been great. Better than PE mm. kit, wouldn't it? STC news. What is it? I love this segment. Yeah. Yeah. What is
1: it like? It's the merely sensational STC belt clip. <laughs> Thread it onto your belt, bag strap, or tie, and stroll around town. But it's like they're aware <laughs> that nobody's going to actually do that. No. And that nobody knows what a belt clip is. i never I know that they actually one. have to explain how it works. The contest, this is not the super compo mentioned no, on the cover of no. Megadroid. This is another little compo where you could win a Sega Pirate TV <laughs> t-shirt extra large size
0: only. Oh really? Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> if you send in suggestions for what else you could do with the belt clip.
0: Yeah, in other words, identify what this bit of plastic tat even is and you win a t-shirt. Mm. The five boomers who
1: come up with the wildest, wackiest, most original ideas will win a t-shirt that's definitely going to be far too large for them.
0: Yeah. It's a belt clip,
1: it's a fashion item, it's a paper clip, it's a
0: thing to clean your nails with, are some of the (laughs) suggestions presented (laughs) by the contest. It is quite Mm. pointy, actually, yes. I wonder if they would have made it quite so spiky today. Uh, Well, it was thick, so it Mm. didn't come to a point. Oh, that's true, that's true. true. It suggests that if you spot other Sonic boomers as they strut their stuff wearing this thing, sonic boomers there they they actually say exactly sonic
1: boomers again and
0: you can yell out the secret of the black and yellow initials sonic the comic yeah. you will and they haven't but i'm going to add massive quote marks here win new friends <laughs> and influence people
1: oh th- there is a sense of knowing about that that i really enjoy there is yes adult. <laughs> and then there's the we noticed down at the bottom there where megadroid apologizes for the fact the price has gone up they were always that's very right. apologetic any time the price came up, but they were realistic about it. Megadroid says, uh, I'd like to say that the price rises because the humans who think they're in charge are actually paying me for this job, <laughs> but the real reason is everything costs more these days.
0: Fair. And I think I think it was the other way around. I feel like this was the price that they wanted to run with from the beginning, but Could they be. were going with an introductory price to hook people in.
1: Yeah, because it's not a long time before no, exactly. a price jump.
0: You know, 12 issues, That's that's...
1: Well, no, that is six
0: months. Oh, God. I suppose so. I wonder if it'd be interesting to find out if other stuff also went up at the same time. 2000 AD, for instance. Mm, You know. I mean. um, Right in, Earthlets. But Megadroid is,
1: as I say, very apologetic and promises that there are some more great surprises in the works, like
0: Sonic the Poster Mag. What? Huh? Uh. What? What? What even could such a thing... If I and, and still, if I hadn't purchased Sonic the Poster Mag, at this age now I'd be going, well, what's a, what's poster, a poster mag? mag? <laughs> yeah. It kind of sounded like a, you, you, one of those things that you could get... Well, I say one you could get. I've only ever seen one of these in my life now, I realise, and it was for the Ninja Turtles movie. But you could get a big book I that know. was literally just... Posters, posters of each character yep. that you could tear out and put up on the wall. I don't know one for the film, but I had a Turtles one for like the
1: cartoon. I always ah. remember it, and I'll tell you why I remember it. The back of each one had like a profile of the turtle on it. That's right. Yeah. Leonardo, special skill, katana. Donatello, special skill, bo Raphael, special skill, sai. Michelangelo, special skill, use of rope. <laughs> oh dear. Because this was after nunchucks were a no-no in the UK. Yeah.
0: There were nunchucks here. <laughs> <laughs> the Savior <laughs> Choss
1: Gunstar Heroes in number six on the Mega Drive chart. One of those games that I never played, but that seems to have been well-remembered as one of the all-time best Mega Drive games, which I
0: think is on the Mega Drive Mini. Oh, is it? Or is
1: going to be on the Mega Drive Mini. I think
0: that's the one with all the snazzy animations, isn't it?
1: Mm, I uh, genuinely have no idea.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Right, shall we move on? Yes, yes, I think that would be most enjoyable. (laughs) Yes!
1: Double Trouble, written by Mark Miller, with art by Mike Hadley, 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 Mike Hadley, letters by Ellie DeVille. Tails discovers a TV monitor containing a clone of Sonic, created long ago by Dr. Kintabor, whose long captivity has twisted him and turned him to evil. When the unwitting Tails releases him, the clone proceeds to wreak havoc on the Emerald Hill Zone, and the real Sonic first has to convince his friends that he's not the one causing the trouble before he can deal with the imposter. Sonic fares poorly in the fight, but Tails is able to recapture the clone in the monitor, which Sonic then kicks into space. God, I loved this one when I was a kid. Did you? Because I had a fascination with evil clones when i was a kid and i still kind of like them now but it's weird yeah. looking back on it how stc was really desperate to get there with the whole evil sonic thing after we had the sonic badnik back in issue four and yeah. now we have an actual literal evil clone of sonic and with metal sonic just around the corner you know they That's were right. they, they they really beat sega to the post with uh, with evil copies of sonic
0: <laughs> Well, I think that's because it's something of a trope. And and I think Mark Miller's method here seems to be... like Just looking at a lot of his stories of the Sonic strip that he's written, his method seems to be to pick a comic's trope. Mm. So the evil version of episode is the one here. Yeah, the amnesia episode. That's right, exactly. And then come up with a specifically Sonic-based way of justifying or explaining that trope in this instance. No, 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 hang on, no, no, no. I adore this. I adored it then. (laughs) I adored it now. So...
1: The idea is, so, Tails finds this evil copy of Sonic in a TV monitor. That is to say, one of the TV monitors from the first Sonic video game. Yeah. Now, we haven't mentioned this, I don't think, because Sonic the Comic never actually mentioned this, but Mm. this was part of the Sega-invented, back-formulated backstory Mm -hmm. that was part of Stay Sonic. Sound the Stay Sonic (laughs) claxon. that a lot of STC was based on, but this never came up, which was um, Sega looked at the games, the finished form of the games, and then worked backwards to invent a backstory for them, incorporating all their aspects, the rings, the emeralds, the TV monitors, the little animals. And in this version of the story, the monitors were created by Dr. Kintabor as a sort of cross-planetary communication system. I think it was a bulletin board system, specifically, Mm. because this was the early 90s, a BBS, where native Mobians could post any information that they had about the seventh Chaos Emerald that he was still looking for. So it's in one of these monitors that Tails finds this evil Sonic, because this evil Sonic is an extra life. He's one of the one-up monitors from the video game. Like they like Miller took so the idea of the one-up um monitor. Well, I always called it an extra life. Extra life. The one-up was from
0: Mario. Yeah, is that like a cultural thing because you do find that people call them one-ups now? Yeah. Um I honestly I don't know we could have simply been, you know, Taking our information from this, from Stay Sonic and from stuff we were getting. could given. have been.
1: I feel like maybe it was called an extra life in the Sonic instruction manual yeah, or something. I think, I think that's right. In games, the idea of having an extra life. But you extra look at life. a lot of American media now and American yeah. YouTubers, and they talk about having a one up or. or another guy or a oh one, i hate that a one man or another oh man. no, it's, like, oh, no it's, an, it's an extra life you have there i've, sort of I, I've have,
0: never understood friend. another guy that yeah, doesn't make sense because no. that comes that 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 speaks of an approach to video games where you're you're not looking at them as a coherent world you're looking yeah. at it as a piece of software and what child does that it's mario it's not another guy i feel like it
1: <laughs> stems from whenever from simple graph i and please anybody out there correct me if I'm wrong because I don't know but it seems like it stems from whenever lives were just represented by the little toilet door man you know (laughs) the little figure of a man down in the corner represented your lives and those would those would disappear each time you lost a life instead of a
0: counter like we had in Sonic yeah well and with Sonic's Sonic's own face next to the counter yeah you didn't have another guy because it was still Sonic you didn't have another Sonic you had another life now 1-Up particularly that is Mario the 1-Up mushroom and so it does make sense that uh, particularly in an American and therefore Nintendo-driven gaming internet, uh-huh. that we would come to think of one-up as the de facto term for it.
1: So anyway, that's what it is. Uh, it's great. The idea great. is that it was a clone that Kintobor created to. Well, what's the the exact phrase that the creature uses is mm. that he was going to be a helping hand for Sonic. But I always yes. kind of took it that he was going to be the guy who could take over if Sonic died.
0: Oh, I see. So you're thinking that it would literally be this, the, this would be the new regeneration, as it were, of Sonic. It would yeah. carry on in his stead. It, it's not explained. He says, that uh, I lived in that box for
1: years, waiting and plotting an extra life. That's what they called me, an extra life for the world's most important hedgehog. So I always took mm. it, and I do yeah. still today, that the idea was that this was this was going to be, if Sonic should ever have died, Kintobor of had backed him up, as it were, found a way to um, clone him, cloned him so that he could take over yeah. if the original ever died that makes
0: sense I didn't uh, I I did think about it long and hard and I remember being fascinated and confused by the concept but I never reached any actual conclusions Um, I always assumed it was some kind of I don't know resurrectative energy that has I I suppose I thought of it as a little bit like those episodes where Moriarty makes his way out of the holodeck you know like this was a a conceptual being only but who manages to with Tails' error of essentially letting him out somehow. That, that's how he becomes a living creature. But uh, Yes, it could that be that is, too too. Well, but that's no more, that's not supported any more than yours is. Really, he doesn't explain it at all, so you are left to ponder it.
1: It's in the name, really, I think for me, to say yeah. that he's an extra life. It always sounded to me like, yeah. Yeah. But, he uh, came got turned into Robotnik, this poor bugger got uh, stuck in a box, Sonic had the audacity to not die, or whatever, and, uh, <laughs> and uh, he got bitter and twisted. And that's the
0: difference. This guy isn't magically evil he has been driven to it after years of solitary confinement inside a monitor where he was sort of plotting in previous issues we've pointed out things being a bit too video gamey to really fit the world that this is presenting and and i think this kind of is that but just i dig it oh yeah as an example of like early thinking of how to turn video games into comics because it may have been done before. Ever. but it hadn't been done before in the uk not in certainly not in a mainstreamy way like this there wasn't a mario comic yet here i think the american ones no i know the american ones already existed but they were more adaptations of the, the super show really than, than the games themselves although they put some stuff in uh don't you me i love the mario love super the show. super show love it love it love it i love okay. the zelda one as well Excuse me, Dave. Exactly. Well, I think honestly, part of it is because I, when I heard about Super Mario Brothers, the game, I was like, "Oh, cool! They made a game out of Super Mario Brothers." Oh God! <laughs> Off right. Hey Hey, It's Saturday. But um, I dig it. It's an. Att- these are experiments early in the life of like video games just pushing their way into mainstream culture. And here are grown-ups essentially forced to acknowledge that and turn it into something. And and these are the different ways that they've gone about that. And I just find it fascinating. It's another great example of
1: what we've talked about many times already, the comics' fidelity to the games. They could have just not done this at all, but they didn't. They did it, and it was another little thing from the games that was
0: this is what I'm talking about yeah. There's there are so many ways that Mark Miller could have come up with and would already have read examples of just as a comics reader himself of how to take you know you want to do an evil Sonic story why is he evil there's so many ways Robotnik could have come up with a machine anything but he's tied it round mm. to the games He's he's got such a Sonicy conclusion that I felt tremendously exciting as a kid to adult eyes you know when if you were reading it for the first time and it's like oh I'm an evil Sonic you're like mm, here we go well, we, it's uh, a bit of a in 2019,
1: cliche. how many
0: evil Sonics have there been? Right, exactly. But it's that conclusion, it's the... Well, not conclusion, you know, it's the reason that he's come Mm. up with for it that makes it special.
1: Yeah, and we'd never see this guy again. Nope. I long to see him come back, but, I mean, in hindsight I'm glad he didn't, because then he would probably wind up being the UK equivalent of Scourge
0: the Hedgehog or something, you know. (laughs) Well, let me put something to you here that I'm going to have to speak in slightly veiled language for anyone who is experiencing these stories for the first time through us, but... Here we have the concept of an evil Sonic trapped in a screen in space. Huh. Coincidence. I'm going to go with coincidence on that one. Yeah. It's definitely a coincidence, yeah. but the fact that he never came back is because they did it better later That's on. That's
1: incredibly true, actually, yeah. And that
0: was another great, you know, here's a
1: way of doing an evil Sonic story mm. versus. I'm not. I'm not ragging on Archie, but
0: versus, an- um, <laughs> you ver- but versus oh, yes, you
1: anti-Mobius, are. you know, just versus doing a mirror universe story or something,
0: uh, right? Which is a bit close to the old, the old the, the, tropey clicheiness
1: of the, the, the whoriest version of the trope.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah mike
1: hadley 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 who knows not the greatest artist that's been on the book far from the worst either he was the workman of sonic the comic we would see a lot of his work um throughout the series Uh, i think like some of the more notable issues i remember him drawing. he did the metamorphia
0: stories of course he did i'm looking at that picture of the evil sonic on page four where he's got the stars going around his Mm. head and and i was looking at that as you said metamorphia and i see it i Mm. really see it
1: Uh, sonic's world was him too, at least some of it. I think he did drop off after a while, couldn't tell you exactly when, but certainly he was one of the artists that I would always uh, recognise when he came up. He was a reliable yeoman of the book, he was always on hand to do a sonic strip. There's a a real over-reliance sometimes on this issue, on motion lines to tell us what way something is moving, versus the real kineticism
0: of the art conveying the illusion of motion, do you know what I mean? I do know what you mean, but at the same time, there's more inventiveness to it than than just, I mean, someone listening might be picturing a person, you know, a Sonic running along with just motion lines coming out. We do have the panel on page two where the evil Sonic has clearly gone round in a big arc because we can see the big sort of wood tower that he's sliced in half falling over, and then mm. his trail in the background. So there's there's a largeness to it. There's a colourfulness to the style here. This one here, where on the opposite page where he runs through the water,
1: there's a you, you do feel them. yes the whoosh That's of the right. water, that comes across very well. But then, you know, conversely, compared to page five where he comes... The, the the idea of the visual seems to be that he comes crashing into the group of Sonic and his friends, and they all yes. just sort of levitate into the sky backwards up over him instead of being, you know, scattered like ten pins like you would expect them to. There's an inconsistency to some of it as well. If you look, like, I, I always remembered, and I remembered it seeing it again, the, the panel where the real Sonic shows up and he trips the imposter and the imposter goes sailing forward and suddenly he has this big, shiny, black, goofy-style honker of a nose that he just didn't have before. (laughs)
0: really huge nose
1: yeah I mean we should also just Mm. stipulate that the clone is He's Sonic, but he's not an exact duplicate of Sonic. Like he's got slightly more. He's got a little hang tooth. He's got a little fang. His pupils are slitted. Um, his nose comes to a point, and his uh, his ears are are ragged.
0: Yes, he's how you would draw Sonic if you were drawing an evil Sonic, an evil version of Sonic himself. Yeah. As a kid, I, I don't say that as an insult to Mike Hadley here. It's that's that's what you would do. It's what I did. And, oh no, uh, I mean
1: he, it's not an insult at all because it's you know shy of giving him a goatee. Yes. It's incredibly communicative artistic language that will tell a child right away not right wrong bad
0: it's one of the things where if you're a kid drawing an explosion you make the noise of the explosion and <laughs> if you're a kid drawing an evil version of someone then you you make yourself cross you draw sharply and spikily and that that's yeah. what this sonic is and of course sonic is already sharp and spiky so it has to be a step above that yeah. i do love the the art here um uh, mike it must be hadley because yeah. otherwise it'd be well, it might not be. Well, anyway, We're gonna I'm going to call him Hadley. Hadley. He's heavily referenced, well, Richard Elson's Emerald Hill Zone, mm, mm, mm. So, So there's a big, good bit of continuity of design. And I like that on the top of page two, we cut to the um, the inhabitants of the Emerald Hill Zone building what they describe here as a new hideout that Robotnik knows nothing about.
1: I'm looking at that and thinking that this is another one of those instances where editorial might have crept in. I can remember that this idea of a hideout will carry on for the next couple of issues Ah. but it'll be a little wobbly and it won't eventually line up with what Nigel Kitching will do in like seven or eight issues time.
0: Yeah because what they're doing at the moment is they're they're just essentially looks like they're just repairing the Emerald Hill Zone. The Emerald Hill Zone itself and they're doing it and like, this is quite interesting with big yellow and orange blocks yeah, they're which they put building together the building the checkerboard pattern <laughs> yeah it sort of retroactively explains the checkerboard pattern as if they're the individual bricks of the zone that's quite interesting
1: because like he's destroying the whole
0: hideout they're talking as if the Emerald <laughs> yeah, Hill right, Zone yeah. village is the, is is the hideout, the hideout yeah. you know? so what do you think if that is editorial putting it in afterwards what are they what doing what would they have originally yeah, been that's doing that's the
1: one thing I'm not sure about it could be a key case- well you remember last issue we were talking about how it could have been edited at the script stage and then drawn to the specifications of the edited script. Well, that's just that's that's
0: just normal then, isn't it?
1: <laughs> well, well, yeah, but I mean, Miller wouldn't have included it as well. Then. Yeah, he
0: wouldn't have known yeah, about the, been, been the been overall editor, direction yeah. of the story. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. Do you know? Speaking of Miller, actually, he makes a little use of Sally Acorn again. That's exactly what I was about to say. Yeah, Here she, she is. She comes to the. We form. thought she didn't appear again, but yeah. not only is she. She's not just pictured here with the little bow in her hair, so it's definitely her. I think they say Sally, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I don't know, Sally. She's the one that comes to the fore because
1: they think it's Sonic's just wrecked their quote-unquote new hideout. Um, Sally's, we can't take any risks. We want you banished from the zone. And that's really interesting because it's, it's funny. It reminded me that... I don't know if it's a genuine childhood memory or if it's bleed over uh-huh. from sat Am. that, in my head at least, mm-hmm. I do sort of feel like I remember Sally being like the sensible one,
0: the zone no, leader
1: type. You do remember that? Maybe it's a fourth dimension thing because she was in fourth dimension.
0: It's those books and I couldn't tell you if it's just fourth dimension or if it's like across all of them. I, I kind of get the feeling it's across more than one of them because... I think I got that impression before I read Fourth Dimension, which wasn't the first one I read. So It's funny that both
1: the US and the UK would kind of go that direction with the character. US, obviously, much more so, but... Uh, no, I don't know if Miller ever used Sally again. I was going to say I didn't think
0: so, but I'm not so sure. We didn't think so before. Guess we'll just keep an eye out. But either way, what's interesting about this bit with Sally, and for context, because we didn't really go into it, after he and the evil Sonic have fought... Sally comes back in and says like you almost flattened our new hideout we can't take any risks on it you might betray us to Robotnik we want you banished from the zone what this does, even though there's not much evidence of Robotnik being in charge, there is a clear sense that the animals are starting to organize. Mm. Either they've always been organized and they already act as a sort of a committee for uh, <laughs> keeping the Emerald Hill Zone uh, Emerald, um, <laughs> perhaps it's that they're starting to form up an organization in yeah. response to the Robotnik threat.
1: Now, much like the Amnesia plot from last issue, though, this doesn't actually go anywhere
0: because mm. the evil Sonic comes back in the very next
1: panel, and then Sonic's like, There, see, and then we're like, You oh. know right in front of so uh, specifically Sally says the apologies in the post <laughs> yeah I like
0: that I wonder if it, I'd like to see some of uh, like mark's storytelling for older readers from around this time because you know you're writing for younger kids so one panel for a young reader kind of feels like a whole issue's worth of ongoing drama because you're like oh no no no, no oh, he's yeah, gonna yeah. be banished and then oh whew,
1: oh thank goodness we're at the end of it now like Sonic it turns out doesn't fare too well fighting this thing but while Sonic's on the receiving end of punches tails wakes back up and uh, gets the TV monitor. It's a good thing he didn't jump on it and bop it open to get the evil clone out, isn't it? (laughs) He just pushes the button on the front of it, so it's still in one piece, and then he uses it to recapture, and he sucks him back inside again. Um, And I I love this bit at the end where Sonic spins his leg and kicks the box into space, and the sound effect is just... punt, punt.
0: By the way, very reminiscent of the end of Disney's Aladdin, isn't it? That's... A bit,
1: yeah, yeah, trapping them back inside. Spin and... the
0: arm, throw them, yeah. Um, there's an interesting fluctuation of the artwork of Tails in this issue, if you look mm. at him in the left, in yeah, the second look at to last that, page, actually. yeah, second to last page, top right, there's a version of Tails drawn so simplistically that it, you know, it almost looks like somebody else did it. And then top left of the final page, that's a Richard Elson Tails, and top right, that's a Sega Tails. Yeah, I mean, I don't know about Elson so much; it just looks like a Mike Hadley Tails to me.
1: <laughs> but definitely, yeah, the top right there is because he's got the goggle eyes; he's got the eyes that yes. are all
0: one, uh, all one white thing. Um, which And also the hair coming off the side of his head. Oh yeah, instead of up. To represent the front of his head, yeah. Yeah, it's yeah, a funny one, actually. But it's used almost as just a facial expression. Mm. It's like, okay, now he's this design because it communicates something.
1: Because he's confused, yeah. yeah. It fits with what he's saying, but um, I think it, it it speaks to what I was saying about the inconsistency of Hadley's art. He would never be my favourite, but um, I would never go and throw, the, oh no, it's a Mike Hadley issue. I would never do that. He was always the reliable. And then we end with a good um, mark miller style sonic line and sally apologizes i should have known that ugly brute was the real bad guy and sonic ends with ugly i thought he was kind of handsome hey, hey. <laughs>
0: a little gag Way. to mask the fact that we've just trapped a living being in a tiny cage and kicked him into space forever yeah he was evil it's okay can we just before we move on um i have to flag up the error on page five yes yes dr ovi kinto bar Bar. yes b-a-r which was a mistake that people both in real life and online would make over and over Over and over over again again for some reason Uh, this is
1: the first time we've seen it here but it definitely would be i'm sure in the pages of sonic the comic even it would be heard again
0: well i've certainly seen it you know people on the internet Mm. refer to dr Kintobar to this day and i even heard in real life there were kids at my school who would say dr kinto bar and i'd be like no Do you not get it? Are you (laughs) dumb? Do you not get it? This is the thing. We still have people today discovering the pun in Miles (laughs) Prower. This is... These are... I don't get it. I don't understand people sometimes.
1: I suppose maybe (laughs) if you...
0: The thing about Kentabor is...
1: It actually yeah. sounds like an, uh, like a silly scientist's
0: name. I suppose.
1: It doesn't immediately read as another name backwards. Backwards, it does no it doesn't. It does stand on its own as, as a silly sounding scientist's name. So you might not immediately recognise that it is Robotnik backwards. And obviously yeah. Stay Sonic spelled out with painful clarity... That the <laughs> name tag on Robotnik's lab coat had been reversed. As, as I believe a, a Sonic's World comic strip... Would would later be titled <laughs> Kintabor Spelled Backwards Is. Oh yes! Oh, that's right. But yeah, never understood that. No, I never liked it as a name though. Kinterbor. You know what I think? Maybe for me was that um, nowadays when I envision Kinterbor's voice, it's very, it's up there, sort of British, you know, but it's was like Terry Thomas sort of, you know, oh look who's dropped in, British yeah. dias Europeans. But back when I was a kid, I think maybe it was the kint aspect. I always imagined him as sort of you know as a good nice little Frankenstein, a little mad scientist, oh. always, always say, oh look who's dropped in, here in the And perhaps it was the kinter, the kint part of it that made me think that he. Was I agree German. with you there right. Yeah. So yeah. But these days, I do. I do think he was. He wasn't. He wasn't yeah. Foreigners. He was very British.
0: If I was in charge of casting for the voice cast for an animated STC movie, I'd, I'd probably be tempted to go for someone like a John Ronson, someone with the the gentlest voice going, you know. to just, But I to think really... <laughs>
1: that I, I would I would want to cast the same person as Kinderborn oh, and yes. Robotnik, so oh, I need yes. to be sure that they can they can do it the same way. But I don't think, <laughs> I, to be honest, it's it's the same sort of situation with like any of the Sonic cartoons. I genuinely don't know if any actual actors would ever sound right. I don't feel like any Sonic cartoon voice actors ever
0: have sounded right to me. I know what you mean. That's
1: just the product of coming up through the the silent
0: years, isn't it? It is. I I know I've never been able to figure out what I think a Sonic voice should sound like. Uh, However, there is, I have a shadow of a doubt who should have played Robotnik in live action, and that's Leo McKern, who played Rumpole of the Bailey. He just looks exactly like Robotnik. He sounds like him. He would have been absolutely brilliant. Is he still alive? He is not still alive. Well, there you go then. (laughs) He wasn't going to be in the film. No, but this would have had to have been made at the time, you understand. Yeah, but imagine if they had. <laughs> what? A Creature Shop Sonic would have been adorable. Oh, I never thought about a Creature Shop.
1: Yeah. Always just visible from the waist down. <laughs> wa- waist up, rather. I think you mean waist <laughs> up. Yes, I think You're I thinking do. of an entirely different sort of Sonicville, Or waist down whenever they wanted to show him spinning his legs. Well, yes. Yes, <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, now I'm imagining a Jim Henson's Creature Shop Sonic, and it's all
0: right. Which Muppet performer would have done his voice? Oh, goodness me. Um god i don't know huh i don't know but i do have the i did design the, the puppet at one stage oh, really? i haven't yeah you remember that do you remember around about sort of 90 turn of 93 94 they released some um some sonic stationery that was like sonic's head and tails his head on a quite sort of blue and checkerboardy and green emerald hill type colors background mm, and uh, i had a not just a pencil tin but also the sketch pad of that design in which i drew presumably with the supplied pencil presumably um, my idea for how the Creature Shop Sonic and Tails might be constructed on the inside. Of course, I don't know how any of these work, but I must have seen, you know, a documentary on how it works. So I had. And goes up. No, it was a sort of a skeleton thing with like the eyes had metal bits around them and like bits at the top to control the, to make eyebrows. the eyebrows. Yeah, because so. you understood
1: that that's what moved. <laughs> yeah. You know, Sonic would really work. You know, that's the thing. Yeah. You know, people do make the point, and it's a completely fair and accurate point that the creepy monogogled visor eye wouldn't really fly in live action, but it would absolutely fly for a puppet. You could see the the pupils shifting inside it and the eyebrows moving up and down. I can really imagine it. Yeah. Only one page long, so they market it as a special but it's because they're (laughs)
0: reviewing sonic spinball so it actually they're crafty like that because now it's a sonic game so it actually does become special that's (laughs) it and despite the fact that sonic spinball is very much a side project it Mm -hmm. kind of counts as stc's first review of an upcoming sonic game yes well that opening paragraph says it all he's blue he's bad and he's back even though sonic has been absent from your console since november 92 then you think when you were a kid felt like a hell of a long time yeah
1: they don't credit this one, but whoever did it, I'm fairly confident they played the first level, and that's all. Well,
0: like almost anyone else who ever played it, so fairly. <laughs> <to use. laughs> yeah, right.
1: no, I'm sure I got to the last level once, but I wow. couldn't figure out what I was supposed to do. Uh-huh. I'm gonna say it's Tony Takushi because. You know, there's a lot of listing uh, in this so I'm going to say it's Mr. Takushi <laughs> pretty much everything he describes are the features of the first level and they give it an 80% overall, very playable and great in two player mode but the cons are that it's a different kind of Sonic game which is the uh, nicest way of possibly saying yeah I think when we were kids why we might not have been that interested in
0: it. Absolutely and it was a problem that would persist with the Sonic series oh, yes. not a real Sonic game is very much something I've been saying in my head for the <laughs> last about like, 1990- 25 years
1: 95 yeah
0: <laughs> <laughs> and in this preview format not knowing much about the eventual game i have to say the screenshots look good Don't you know they? despite the uncomfortable grasp they have on how to depict Sonic's spines it's a uh, mm-hmm. very mm-hmm. much a different style and I, I actually think that kind of in some way excuses the new approach to the spines that that picture him on the title screen to be fair
1: there are three rows of them so that's mm-hmm. right they're doing that right. They are. To be honest, I don't know today how you would depict Sonic from the top down. So, so fair play to them.
0: <laughs> yeah, I think you would have his spikes be more of a sort of straight-back thing, but yes, it, they're drawing him with a bit more, well, panache than was mm. usually used in the games up till this point. I think they were trying to show off. I think they were trying to step it up a bit and go down the toe Jam & Earl route of having it yeah, look yeah, yeah. more like a a western cartoon of course this is the game that would have some of the cartoon characters in it a very yeah. very American side project feeling oh. Sonic game yes And uh, Scratch was in it and yeah. Rotor Bunny and Sally were in it I think, I think so yeah. But it just looks great. These screenshots honestly look really good and they, they don't really speak to the actual experience of playing the game, which I found incredibly frustrating and mm. dead endy all the time. Yeah, that's what I remember
1: getting to the last level. I think it was the last level. Um was that I, I dead endy, I didn't know what I was doing, you know. But yeah. hey, you know, I think it's on the Sega Mega Drive mini, so maybe I'll give it another go. Try it. Yeah. And now, hey, speaking of Sonic Pinball,
0: over yes. on the right
1: hand page here, the winners take all competition. Oh, gosh did this bring (laughs) back some memories so this uh, they're not lying when they say this is a loot laden competition oh yeah 15 top prize winners will receive a bumper prize bundle of a supersonic pinball game and a cuddly sonic and tails 32nd prize winners receive a cuddly sonic a smaller one than the big winner wins and 40 runners up receive a sonic water wizard game not the same one as is available as a prize on the speed lines it's uh, a bigger one a, a bigger one yes um Oh my God! Did I want that pinball table? Oh, 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 I wanted that. I don't know why I never got it. Maybe it had gone from. Well, no, this is November, so surely I must have been asking for it for Christmas. Mm. Well, maybe it was just impossible to get. But by crikey
0: that I want that. I want it now, looking at it. Yeah. So, (laughs) how do we describe this? It's. uh, I mean, we're not talking about... Oh, it's not (laughs) like a full-size pinball table. No, it's not like like one of those people who have, like, a pinball table in their basement. It's a
1: little plastic um, tabletop uh, enclosure. It's a
0: toy, presumably Um, by Tomy. It's a toy. Yes, by Tomy. They also did a Sonic, uh, presumably as part of the same line and at the same time, they did a Sonic version of the old Kongman toy, which was a, if you like, a kind of a vertical pinball table where you were bouncing a little metal ball around things to get it to the top of the mountain well this is a similar God, sort of size I to about that. that oh yeah it was great yeah. we had that oh, and yeah, i did have screwball scramble which is like that but sideways yes imagine screwball scramble but like cut a half down the middle and you're and you're on one side of it that's about what this pinball table is it looks like a lot of fun and i'm now just gonna go and check Up ebay for eBay. it yeah do that <laughs> <laughs> tell us what's going on over there dude yeah pinball table 25 quid what oh. Plus seven pound fifty posts and packaging, so you're looking at about thirty quid. Oh, dip! I might just buy that.
1: <laughs> uh, to, well, now I know that I know that it's within my grasp. Suddenly, I don't want it anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I know exactly what you mean. And the the way you enter, it's a spot the difference. It's not exactly an
0: easy peasy spot it's, the difference. It's not. It. No, I've only found one difference at an, at an well, idle glance, and that's the... I have uh, the
1: advantage of the previous owner of this comic having circled the differences. So, oh, gosh. Um, but not sent it in. But not sent it in. I mean, I, I would have played the game and spotted the differences and not sent it in, too, for whatever reason, as we were saying at the start. Yeah, but, but I wouldn't
0: have ringed them.
1: Yeah, no, there are lots of... they are very little subtle difference. It's like, basically, yeah. they're just, like, single line. The, the drawing is of Sonic super spin dashing into a crab meat and yes. um, it's it's a small it's a small what, what, what would you say like two by three inch something two right. by four inch um... credit card
0: size oh no it's slightly yeah bigger. credit card size
1: the differences are just literally like there's a single line missing here and there or a bit of shadow is missing or something so, so the yeah, only yeah,
0: one I could find at a glance was that the inner triangle of his ear isn't present mm, in the second one that's immediately uh, obvious I've yeah. now spotted that there's only one line forming the stripe of his shoe so you wouldn't yeah. be able to color it in unless you colored it in like tails shoe I'll list them all for you
1: if you like do you? <laughs> I
0: mean I mean, what i'm gonna do before you do that is i'm gonna use the cheat mode for spot the <laughs> differences which is now this is printed uh, one above the other so i have yeah, to turn it sideways do that yeah i can cross that. my eyes and i have there we go i've created a single image and <laughs> even there not many of them jump out oh my god there's a tiny one like in the just in the speed lines at the back oh that's just an error uh- which no, means, it's not. Oh, well, don't what are know. What it? Because it's not on mine. Sonic speeding along. Yeah. Just above, in the bottom picture, the one with the differences, just above his heel and behind the lower bulge of his back, there's just a little inky blotch. Oh, that is on mine, So, but no, that's just a printing error. I think that's just a printing error, except one of what is presumably an actual difference is that his sort of, you know, the further away leg is coloured in black or shaded yeah. in in the, mm-hmm, in the lower mm-hmm. picture. And that must have been when they accidentally made the blotch. Could be, yeah. I'll point you out another one. is that? Yeah, The little on.
1: rock just in the background is also all black.
0: Oh, gosh, yes. And there's a bit of shading in the crab meat's claw. Crab meat's claw not... as well. It's the tiny little... differences. Look
1: at the, the little starburst surprise up in the top right. Oh, my is gone. gosh.
0: Okay, that is... The way it's drawn is that the crab meat is up in the air above Sonic being blasted into, and he's got mm. that kind of ziggy-zaggy-jagged sort of explosion lines around it. And one of the points of that has got a little, boop, 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 a little pff- pinpoint. T- but, like a bursting mm. bubble almost and it's not on the lower picture this mm. is a genuinely very difficult spot the difference competition yeah.
1: well with prizes like this Dave, they mean... couldn't make it
0: easy on the kids could they? but I want that pinball I'm going to look into that <laughs> and if they're talking about the big cuddly Sonic and Tails we had them they were great and they still haven't been topped 40 centimeters tall although in the picture the smaller Sonic and Tails are depicted mm. and so they don't seem to have a picture that actually matches what the prize is on that instance because that, you could get smaller but ones but you wouldn't well. know because that's a child no child (laughs) knows
1: how big 40 centimeters actually
0: is oh god i mean i probably couldn't tell you now if you hadn't told (laughs) me it was the size of the sonic judging distances the smaller sonics are 25 centimeters oh and by the way let me point this out as well the sonic entails cuddly toys nowhere on this page does it say the word plush we didn't know that word in that wasn't
1: a word back then no well done yes thank you for pointing that out first time i I ever heard
0: it probably an american cartoon it was it was nineteen ninety six and it was in a catalogue that allowed you to send off for a Smurfs one and I genuinely didn't know what it was. it was an American catalogue there. You go. You, yeah, it was an American term that came in that we all use now, but yep. Yeah. Cuddly toys.
1: That was cuddly I mean toy. Good, goodness sakes, cuddly toy was like a uh a staple of British parlance. We had, there was a TV show called The Generation Game. And at the end of every episode of that, and this was a long running BBC quiz show, at the end of that, a conveyor belt would scroll past the contestant with various prizes on it. And there would always, always, always be a cuddly toy. It was like a hallmark of the program and that's what it called it It was the cuddly toy maybe it's because of the generation game that it entered into such
0: wide parlance that is possible but it it was so popular that to this day if anyone says a cuddly toy anywhere in the uk someone will chime in with a cuddly toy (laughs) and on the conveyor belt tonight we have a microwave oven a fondue set a midi stereo system a basket of tropical fruits, a case of champagne, Whoa. a dishwasher, <laughs> electric typewriter, socks and tights for a year, Whoa. a tie. <laughs> yeah. um, um, okay. However, now let me say that just speaking as an on-the-ground Sonic fan, um, in my school this was referred to as the Sonic Teddy. Sure, yeah, no, I could see that. Yeah, Yeah. but never plush. No, no, no. Echo the Dolphin, part one, written and lettered by Woodrow Phoenix, art by Chris Webster. After a mysterious force from the sky abducts all, save one, of the dolphins from Earth's oceans, the sole remaining dolphin, Echo, embarks on a quest to discover what has happened to his friends. A friendly orca saves Echo from a shark attack, then leads him to a mysterious jewel known as a glyph, which transports Echo back in time to search for answers. Echo the dolphin. Chris, something we've been keen to stress increasingly since we've launched the podcast, I'll stress it in my tweets promoting episodes, is the variety to be found in this magazine. Mm. Uh, this is a, a, as opposed to, like, with Archie's Sonic, you knew exactly what you were getting. And even though there's a vast difference between the Archie of our time, which is the Ken Penders era, and uh, the Archie of the people who argue on Twitter that it was good against <laughs> us, uh, <laughs> which is the Ian Potto era of the last several years. Ian Flint. A reader... Sorry, I knew him as Ian Potto. Uh, oh, yes, that's right. Dave
1: goes way back with Ian... <laughs>
0: The Ian Potter... The Ian Flynn era. A reader would buy the comic and have a very accurate idea of what they were going to find from, you know, from page one to page last. But STC was a grab bag and... British comics in general were grab bags. They were sort of a... You know, you had a handful of pages on a particular general theme. And in this case, that theme wasn't Sonic. It was Sega, which meant that the tone and the contents could be as varied as the world of video games itself. Mm. And specifically, you know, whatever Sega were trying to sell at the time on the Mega Drive. And the thing is about Sega as well, they didn't just make mass appeal games like Streets of Rage. They did have a penchant for the fartsy. And (laughs) they did. You know, Nights was one of their big things. And certainly the Japanese end... Well, Echo the Dolphin on the Mega Drive tonally was nothing like Sonic or Streets of Rage or Golden Axe. And accordingly, here is a comic adaptation that's nothing like anything else yeah. in the comic. It's ponderous. And you,
1: good to stress that word too, yeah. adaptation, because yes. we've said it before, this, um, as with many of the other, after the first wave of serials, this is very much an adaptation of the story of the game. Possibly yeah. more than any other comic that would I really be so. in SDC. Because, you know, we're only on part one, but we'll say it now, there'd be a second Echo serial in the future. And between those two six-part serials that would tell the complete story of the Echo the Echo. And video game from start to finish and they do reorganize the order of a few of the events but all the big beats out of the video game including as we see at the end of this issue the time travel Atlantis uh, the aliens that come into it uh, it's all
0: uh it's all in there well that's the thing and now echo the game I, I played it uh, last night on a stream just to get mm. ready for this bit of a disaster because I was really really sleepy but um echo was a tough game a very very difficult game but it threw you off its scent at first because it presented itself as like something just if you looked at the box and if you looked at the screenshots and if you played the the first few minutes of it mm. it almost looks like a sim like a dolphin
1: quite sim quite zan very is how I always thought of it very zan
0: yeah you're just a dolphin there's no intro sequence or anything like that you're just a dolphin swimming about swimming about there's no apparent goal there's nothing you can apparently do you can just hop about with the water and there's just one enclosed box
1: of ocean
0: playing it you almost expect for the whole thing to take place in this enclosed box and for you know maybe certain fish to be dropped in from up above or something and it, mm-hmm. to be almost like a just an ethereal experience of being adult. dolphin took
1: me ages to figure out what it was you were supposed to do to start things
0: yeah because if you just play around long enough you figure out that if you approach the surface of the water fast enough echo will kind of jump out and splash back in and at first you just have fun with that yeah and then if you happen to hit if you happen to really blast your way up and hit a certain height that triggers the cutscene plot trigger and it happens suddenly and like if you didn't know it was coming almost frighteningly yeah i think yeah, Abby yeah, yeah, was quite freaked out by like yeah. this kid this huge tornado suddenly just sweeps up everything from the pool you were in so like not just like starfish and bits of coral but all the other dolphins it misses you and when you land back down again having completed your big jump you are alone mm. and the creepy music starts Played on that old synthesizer yeah. sound that the Mega Drive and, and old point-and-click adventures had. Now, the,
1: the comic actually says that this takes all the dolphins... It leaves the ocean bare of all yes. its dolphin children. But I think in the game, it was just Echo's pod of dolphins. It's Echo's pod, yeah. There are other dolphins in the game. I don't know if the comic will will follow through on this, or if this is just like a, a chapter one goof that'll be papered over later.
0: Yeah, now just from my little go at it last night, because I've not... I've. I've you know, dabbled with it over my the course of my life, but last mm. night was the longest I've ever played it, and I finished the first level, which I've never done before. Yeah. I came to the understanding, whether this is correct or not, that when you do meet another dolphin, it's a checkpoint. Oh, so that gives you an example of how few and far between they are. You'll now and then meet one, and that will be your your one respawn point for that level. I could be wrong about that, but that that's certainly how it seemed. But that's the thing. This comic, in that same way, has this completely different ethereal ponder. Mm.
1: I love that word, ethereal is the perfect word to describe it, because even though it would start out very zen and then get freaking weird Mm. as you went on in the game, it never lost that unearthly feel. Isn't it it's based on partially like the work of a scientist who researched dolphins tried to like teach dolphins to talk or something like that.
0: He did all sorts of interesting things with dolphins, yeah. Yeah, involving as I recall a lot of interesting substances. The substances came later. There were three phases to this guy's career. The first one was when he John C Lilly. He studied dolphins to yes, as he say, try and find out exactly how intelligent they are because we know they're very intelligent and he tried to get them to speak English and he got weirdly far. There are recordings of a dolphin not speaking English but echoing back the sounds that the trainers were making.
1: Hello? Hello? Clearly,
0: Peter. What's wrong with Come on. One, two, three.
1: He did work with a woman named Margaret Howe Lovett.
0: Margaret!
1: She was the subject of this documentary, I'm sure I watched, which was she worked with him in the research and, and there was the idea that the dolphin had fallen in love with
0: her. The dolphin fell in love with her. When they tried to put it in with uh, with female dolphins, it was uninterested and moody. And yes, she had to... There were, there were tasks she had to perform to get the dolphin back to uh, being able to concentrate on its work. If you know what I mean... <laughs> But then, he lost all of his funding for that. And he went a bit strange, and he got into ketamine. Oh. And at the point when he was on all that ketamine, he started to hallucinate. And he thought that he was being contacted by a group called the Earth Coincidence Control Office. Oh, dip! Or Echo. Oh, shit! I didn't know that. That's as far as that influences the, the game. It was just that someone who was reading up on his studies evidently also saw that bit and went, cool, I'll use that. It's like echolocation. I'll use that. Cool. But I feel like the, the psychedelic aspect yeah definitely an influence on the game and by extension the strip the final phase of his career was that he got over all of that went oh my gosh i've done some strange things to dolphins including like torturing them as part of my tests and became a big advocate for animal welfare and actually as i understand it some of the standards that we adhere to now with welfare of dolphins and so on come from this guy's work that's oh, well, so mixed bag like mixed bag yeah <laughs> carry on
1: there's a vocabulary this comic uses that maintains that otherworldly sense. Not too much on display in this one, but I remember it would come in later. Like, whenever Echo is attacked by a bunch of sharks, he identifies them as rip teeth. And teeth. When, yeah. uh, whenever this orca comes and saves him, uh, the orca calls him little fin. And do you know what it puts me in mind of, actually, is um, Land Before Time? Yeah. These I creatures know. have, in their language, words for these other things that are not our words for them.
0: You know? Yeah, or um, you know, watership down almost. Mm, yeah, yeah, it yeah. He has yeah, that yeah. 80s-90s thing where you make something from the perspective of animals which paints the earth as a kind of Mother Gaia type mm-hmm. land of mystery. I mean just I'm just gonna read the opening bit. Listen to the tone of this Earth the present. Immense seas cover this planet's surface. Their rolling vastness bears witness to many awesome sights, but none as overwhelming as this. A great spiralling wind stabs down from the sky, ravaging, slicing, tearing life up from the deep. It leaves the ocean bare of all its dolphin children, save one. His name is Echo, and he is alone and confused. My friend's gone, but where, how? Yeah, it's that halting manner of
1: speech, that that not-quite-human yeah. uh, way of delivering that line.
0: It's reverent of the ocean and its mm. creatures, like almost in the way like a nature documentary would be, but it has a magical edge to it. Mm.
1: Sorry, I'm just making weird noises, but I'm in complete agreement.
0: Well, it has the tone of something like The Dark Crystal. Yeah. And like The Dark Crystal, if you're not in the right mindset, if you've shown up to watch a Muppet movie or mm. Labyrinth, Chances are you won't enjoy it, and as a kid, I didn't enjoy it. Fair enough. But as an adult, and looking at it as an ingredient in this great big flavoursome grab bag that is STC, I think it's very important, because it aims the magazine at yet another audience who could potentially enjoy it. The Sonic stories have been aimed a bit younger recently, and then you've got Streets of Rage and Shinobi, Mm. and now you've got Echo for people like... Stoners! (laughs) Ha! if you like but i was also going to uh, well i'm th- i'm th- honestly i'm thinking of abby who was a oh, very much the opposite of that <laughs> yeah but a nature loving kid who watched mm. nature documentaries deliberately you know actually I noticed it
1: jumped out at me is some um, six pages this
0: Normally, oh. the second
1: and third serials in the comic only have five pages, but Echo gets
0: an extra page. Well, I think that's important because it has yeah. to have that ponderousness. Yeah, that's
1: exactly it. Because it's even able to use that extra page to have a full page long fight scene where literally all Echo does is bump his nose into some sharks while saying just a line of dialogue each
0: time. Yes, his speech is all thought balloons, but yes. the thought balloons? All bubbly effects. And that's Woodrow Phoenix, right? right. And oh. we've said already that he's a, a letterer by trade and so he's come up with this way of making thought balloons look like in the way that they're usually styled after clouds here they're styled after balloons including all thought balloons have a trail of bubbles leading yeah. up to them but here he's spaced them out and changed their shape and size relative to each other that they really look like they're like, like blah, 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 blah. actual water bubbles almost coming out of a blowhole yeah and you see when when echo goes to the glyph then at the end that it has its
1: own unique jagged edged speech bubble as well and i'm pretty sure that like that several of the creatures also that then would appear in in the rest of the strip but maybe oh you know that never occurred to me but yeah yeah he's a letter, isn't he so he's really yeah. plying his trade on this one and now yeah. the artist on this one what's his name again chris webster he would to my memory only do the first two parts of this echo serial oh really and another
0: artist will take over yeah a much more um painterly artist painterly yeah i remember echo as an extremely painted comic mm. and this is not quite that although I, it seems to have been done with Something like watercolors or perhaps painty markers? Well, that's the thing because paint is absolutely essential to what
1: this particular artist is doing. I think the main distinguishing feature is that this artist has used uh, black outlines. He's inked it. Yes. Everything has standard comic um, black ink outlines, but the artist who would take over would actually just, just... things there would be no outlines but um, yeah it seems to yeah something like very heavy watercolors in which you can deliberately I assume very much so see the um, see the stroke of the brush it seems to be about communicating water the fact yeah. that everything is in water, and that comes back to the ponderousness. I'll not use the word ponderous, yes. though. I would call it a languidness. They take a full page to show Echo fighting sharks, and that languidness comes across, as you do with the extra space they're able to use to tell it, with the visible flow of the brushstroke. You really yeah. do feel the idea of sailing languidly, slowly through mm. water, even though it's a fight scene. The
0: world moving around you. Yes. Because your world is water. In particular, I think the strongest example of this is um bottom panel of page three where the sharks and, and echo are all circling around and the orca is approaching mm. and all of them have yeah the the direction of the brush strokes kind of follows a natural movement yeah that they would be having and but also i can see how it's being used to simply fill the space because a lot of it is moving around the characters in a way to, to you know color in the background
1: yes it's twofold i mean you wonder how much of it is deliberate and they're in water so there's nothing that can be in the background except water and how much yeah. of it is is that that's just how it's turned out and how much of it has been carefully structured that way. I
0: think it's certainly in that panel it's deliberate. I think, oh, very,
1: uh, very definitely, yes. I mean, you, you look at this yeah. one up on the top of the page, the top right panel, second panel, where Echo mm. is slamming his nose into the shark in a close-up and you see how the strokes around it go starbursting out from it. Yeah, I love this one in, over on page four as well when
0: the orca comes crashing through the sharks. Well, you've got some Monstro the Whale tricks there, haven't you? You've got the, the white... Well, what is it? Paint or ink or lack of paint or something, but the uh, white um, streaks yeah. to show the movement of the orca is very much like the whale towards the end of Pinocchio.
1: One thing I will say is I'm not so sure about these sound effects.
0: <laughs> what <Arr!
1: laughs> Well, there, yeah, there's the fact that the orca has crashed into them going Arr! But then the the um the sharks spend the entire fight scene on the previous page going ar,
0: ar, ar, ar. Well it's like a lawnmower. <laughs> I think the initial reason for it is because Woodrow there is trying to paint them as like the equivalent of wolves or something in the sea. It's like in the way that we've had them as rip teeth. It's Echo seeing them as a slightly different animal than we would imagine. We wouldn't imagine them growling, but to him they well, did. Well, that's
1: yeah. It's like Land Before Time again, isn't it? If, mm. like if it's our protagonists are humanized and allowed to speak. These rip teeth are like the Tyrannosaurus like the sharp tooth in Land Before Time, where they exactly. are just monsters, just animals. They don't possess the capacity for speech, if you will.
0: Exactly. Now the trouble is. That um, the artwork is strong enough that they just do convey that menace anyway, so I don't yeah. think he needed it. Uh, yeah. um, to comment on the artwork, it's there's something very interesting about it, and and it's similar to what was almost what we were saying about the the Sonic artist, which is that it ain't perfect, no, but it definitely conveys this otherworldly. It's doing the job it needs to do. There's a roughness to it, but that's part of its charm. Yeah. Now I looked up um, what's his name, Chris Webster. Chris Webster. Is it? I looked up Chris Webster, and I couldn't find much about him. But what I did find implied that he's very much a sort of a, an indie with a capital I. I don't ah. know whether small press guy, but certainly very, very indie. So his comics look like the sort of thing that now you'll see a lot of at you know, places like Thought Bubble, the indie press conventions. Mm. And you can see how that style here is not really fully marrying, uh, I suppose, what would ideally be used in a comic like this, which is a quite photorealistic style. But it gives it a fascinating alien-ish quality, Mm -hmm. which Echo Mm -hmm. the Dolphin absolutely, as a series, has. It's good. It feels highbrow. It It feels educational. It It conveys the air of importance. It's that unearthly feeling, you know. I don't know if they still make these, but certainly back in the 90s, there used to be this whole genre of novels for kids who were into animals to an extent that they're now starting to feel a little bit magical about it. And these books were written with a kind of a pretentious air about them, deliberately, and that was a feature of them because it made the animals feel important and grand. Ah, we connect with the nature around us type uh, stuff. Sure. And this is that genre. Yeah, because this does that and then
1: takes it a little further because it's not just that the animal themselves. Like, I like I love this bit of the very. Bear- where the orca leads echo to the glyph and the glyph then community as in the game although I don't think the glyphs were pink in the game so the glyph tells him the beginning of the answer to your quest lies in the past come forward and I shall send you young dolphin back through many centuries to find the answers you need to the savage time when pre-fish swam sea like, that's good. That's a
0: fish. I love that. Yes, so as in the game, we have this fascinating, almost science fiction feeling, but, oh, but yeah. essentially just magical concept of these talking crystals that just are there. At this early stage in both game and comic, they're simply there and oh. if Echo goes up to them, they'll either talk to him if he whirps at them or, essentially they're in the game they work as keys, so you've yeah. got a locked door one that kind of repels you and it says go and find the key and you go up to another one and it essentially gives you the power to unlock the other one. So they're lock- yeah. their door and key uh, mechanics but also they'll talk to you and tell you stuff. You make the point like we don't know where they're from and
1: everything, that reminds me actually. It's a funny one because obviously the point of this comic makes right now is that we don't know where the dolphins have gone. We have no idea. Of course, you and I know. It was aliens. Aliens done it. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe it was on the back of the video game box, but the story, the way here plays it, and certainly then the way you start the game is you don't know what's happened, and you only find out that it's aliens later on as
0: the narrative unfolds. And it's not aliens in the wacky comedy way it's oh no it's in the xenomorph it's style the Geiger creepy. style. Creepy, yeah it's something from beyond yeah, and yeah. it's very very interesting i'm really looking forward to finding out because i can't remember how stc covers that no
1: i don't remember it properly i remember aspects of it but i don't remember the the order of things like i know the time travel doesn't come to later in the game itself they, they, they launch in with it i think That's right. you see like next issue jurassic beach and i'm like <laughs> right it's 1993 jurassic parks yeah. come out we're doing the dinosaurs in the first serial i think was probably the thought process that went into this.
0: But yeah, um, as far as we know at this point, it's just a nature-y comic about a dolphin in the sea and then right there on that last page, having met this crystal thing, it goes, oh, by the way, you're going to have to go back in time. And you're like, okay... Weird This cool. is different Yeah I always liked Deco I just I mean And I
1: didn't know it at the time But with the benefit of hindsight I especially love The knowledge That it forms a complete story Yeah When it's all over
0: New Zone
1: we got in the news zone this week, Robocop and Terminator come into the Mega Drive Master System and Game Gear. I appreciate their uh, open acknowledgement of the fact it's based on a comic series by award-winning comic creators Frank Miller and Walter Simonson. That's nice, I like that.
0: Yes, and they've done that sort of thing before. I think this is not the first time I've noticed STC referencing sort of not just comics, but particularly American comics, perhaps when they talked about a superhero game tie-in or something. Now, as for Robocop vs. Terminator, decades of pointless noodling about with both franchises have kind of dulled the sheer 1993-ness of that as a concept. You're not wrong there. So I just kind of, you know, skimmed over it, and then but then I looked it up, and I saw the cover on the box. It's the popular photo of Arnie in his sunglasses holding a gun fairly casually pointing to the sky, the Terminator 1 poster, oh, yeah. I believe. And then a a slightly trickier to place with a Google image search anyway, but still definitely familiar photo of Robocop aiming his gun just sort of generally at someone. And they've both been cut out and just cropped side by side without any thought for scale on a completely black background. And that... Really, just really, it just brought home the 1993 ishness of this whole picture. Yeah. <laughs> the cheapness, as well yeah, as it the- made me feel 11 just to see the picture. You know, I didn't particularly care about either thing at the time, no, but
1: same, same. I wouldn't have seen any of
0: them. But I just knew them to be cool things that the cool kids were into, and yeah. here. Both of them jammed into a box, put on the Mega Drive. I've never played it, but it's generally regarded quite well, isn't it? Yeah, there's a. it's a tricky one, because when I looked it up on YouTube, I found mostly reviews of the SNES version, yeah. because, of course, America, Nintendo fans. But the ones that I put on, they were acknowledging that this is not as good as the Mega Drive version. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs>
1: we got another story over here on the right, which is another one of those ones where they feel comfortable name-dropping British television personalities from 1993 <laughs> who there's a very good chance young children had no idea who they were. Oh, yes. Where's this? David Vine. I don't... I didn't know David Vine. On the Winter Olympics win gold. The Winter Olympics is getting turned into a video game and um, he <laughs> was hosting the event in which US gold, makers of the game, announced that it will be making it.
0: I believe he was the host of... Ski Sunday, the weekly skiing programme.
1: He was. I mean, you can infer that from the text. But it took until halfway down the thing before I knew that. I was Same. assuming initially that he was a sportsman.
0: Yes, this <laughs> is talking about the upcoming US Gold Game, Winter Olympics for oh. the Mega Drive. In a perfect illustration of what I never understood about kids who were into both sports and mega drives. And there were a lot of them. One or the other, kids. One or the other. I think probably a big part of Sega's success was based on tapping that rather un-Nintendo-y market. Yeah, you know, you're probably right. But we have here the announcement of a game simply called Winter Olympics, and with it, the implication that there are kids who would want to play a game simply called Winter Olympics when it's just been established that they could be playing something called Robocop vs. Terminator. <laughs> I tried three times, four times to read this article about Winter Olympics and just couldn't
1: yeah it's not interesting there was half a page needed <laughs> filled here and they had copy about the winter olympics to fill it with
0: and presumably this was you know aimed at the kids who again you know the grab bag they're so they're, they're trying to cater for genuinely all interest here stop legitimizing them <laughs> they start going off on about like oh a potential tv audience of almost two billion will tune into the actual winter olympics approximately two thousand competitors from 75 countries take part A spectators expected every day who cares? don't sonic the hedgehog please yeah please get on with it (laughs) but I appreciate no but I genuinely I appreciate the fact that they were here is something for the sports Sega fan and there was a lot of those kids we've had something for the really wild show Sega fan this honestly is a comic for everyone and it's part of it's part so. of what was so confusing when I found out about Archie because of how completely different and other an approach to comics it was which mm. in, in the first place when I first heard of it literally cover to cover it's a comic about Sonic and yeah. well and maybe there's a backup story but that's also going to be a comic about Sonic. That concept to me was so exciting when I first heard about it, which I didn't do for another, you know, four or five years after this or or more, that I overlooked the fact initially that there's this strangeness to it because what I thought a Sonic comic was was this was my Smash Hits magazine. Mm. This was our window into pop culture generally through the lens of video games. But here we are learning about the Winter Olympics. You know, previously we've heard about East 17 (laughs) and stuff. There's a lot of Chris Evans going on. This is just a portal through which we it was a lifestyle magazine. Well, yeah, that's it. I mean, cuz it wasn't just a comic. It was a
1: video game magazine and a comic. Well, no. I was going to say it was a video game magazine with comic strips in it, but it wasn't. It was a comic with with video game magazine articles in between the comics, to be fair. But that was all part of it of of what it was, even if you did maybe doze off whenever they offered you up an article about the winter olympics.
0: Exactly. And it presented all of those aspects as being having equal weight within yeah, the pages, yeah. and I really appreciate that. I mean, I wish there was something
1: something terribly interesting to say about the new zone this time around even as we sing the praises of the approach it took but uh, you know we got two new third party controllers announced over here from spectra video
0: yes one of them's called the qj pro pad and i mm. do quite like the fact that uh, it's a six button pad that's designed for use with you know street fighter 2 and so yeah. on
1: it's the main reason six button
0: pads existed at the time yeah I think. And it's interesting because of that, how many of them there were, given that it was basically one game. Yeah. Two, if you include Mortal Kombat. I quite appreciate that some of the buttons here are programmable, so you can basically key in your favourite combat. Apparently,
1: yeah, it's the shoulder buttons on this one. Yeah. Because this has got six face buttons A, B, C, and X, Y, and Z. And then there is an L trigger and an R trigger as well. And apparently mm-hmm. you could program the button presses into the shoulder pad.
0: So what it means is if you've got a favorite combo that you use all the time, a you special just move. turn it into one button. And then
1: the other thing is the uh, the free wheel oh, yeah. for driving games.
0: Went to look yeah. this
1: up because we've done it before with, with the new zone where like some of this stuff never actually got made in the end. But both of these did. But it doesn't seem like there were a terribly large number of games that the free wheel worked with. In fact, it's described rather poorly here. Moving forward is a straightforward procedure. Push the wheel forward forward. forward and pull back, but i mean no it's 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 a steering wheel it actually you turn it it is wired it plugs into the thing but then it, it does have sensors in it so that when you rotate it like a steering wheel it turns
0: your car for driving games quite exciting and for for driving fans it must yeah. have been um, i don't
1: think too many things work with it though nigel mansell's racing or something
0: well and it doesn't seem to imply at least from this article i didn't look any further into it but it doesn't seem to imply that it's in any way analog it's just left is the equivalent of being mapped to the button left and right is mapped.
1: yeah it seems to be the case uh, it doesn't have a Mount or anything it is you you do just hold it up in the air.
0: Now I was someone who always played the Wii version of Mario Kart using mm, the the, the, wheel. the wheels, so mm. I'd be happy with that. Although I'm not sure about this thing about having to push forwards to go. That seems. Yeah, I don't
1: think. Just looking at some I looked up some YouTube videos, and that doesn't seem to be a thing. Um, I don't know what they're describing here. The car just seems to go.
0: Well, it depends on the game, doesn't it? How did racing games work? Did you have to hold a button down to go? An acceleration button, I suppose, yes.
1: So I'm sure that's one of the buttons on the wheel. Yeah. Because there are four buttons on this as well.
0: In that case, what it'll be then is it'll be programmable. I bet you can set it so that... Pushing it forwards is mapped to one button, and pulling it is mapped to another one, and you can use that to. Maybe. I
1: don't know. I saw Violet Berlin playing with it anyway, and oh. pulling it back and forward, like rocking it back and forward, did do something, but it wasn't, didn't make it go.
0: <laughs> right.
1: There's a bit here about how there's um, a bunch of new 8-bit games. I feel like we commented on this already about how nice some of the Master System games in the review zone had looked, and this is just a little article to say there's been a lot of talk recently about the demise of the 8-bit systems, but Sega mm. are still pushing ahead and bringing out good stuff like Sonic, Chaos, Autophance, Home Alone, The Flash, Jurassic Park, Road Runner, and more. Um, although... They have accidentally used photos of Sonic Spinball instead of Sonic <laughs> Chaos. So they're not all good, is it?
0: <laughs> yeah, they've labelled it Sonic Chaos, one of the great lineup of MS games. But no, genuinely surprising news um, that they were still supporting 8-bit as late as Christmas '93. Really? Is it to me? Yeah, because we're three years after the Mega Drive's been invented now. Three years. That's the entire lifespan of like a PlayStation, isn't it? Roughly. Is it though? Like, I don't even know anymore. I've lost the ability to comprehend the
1: idea (laughs) of video game generations. Like, I remember living through the Mega Drive generation, and as far as I'm concerned, that was the entirety of my childhood. Yeah. And now you're telling me that video game things get replaced every couple of years. The idea to me that looking back now and knowing that the PlayStation was only what? two years out yeah, at this point is ludicrous absolutely ludicrous. i agree can't even conceive of it
0: yeah without any information i would have said it was at least something between seven and ten years ahead but yeah, no absolutely no it's impossible time is bullshit <laughs> <laughs> but these things have changed it was only in 1993 that the spectrum finally spluttered its last it was a really strange time. Lots of crossover of formats so that the way it works today would have been ancient history years ago. So, yeah. I
1: bet you got furious about this bit over in the short bursts, though.
0: Oh, I see. Well, Sega having created and temporarily won the console war, mm, yeah, they're currently riding the wave of success with no trouble on the horizon that they can see. That they're aware of. We've covered the fact before that their only eye on the future is like a, a slightly blurred one. They're looking at VR and laser yeah. controllers and stuff. And their next console, the Saturn, is going to be the ultimate 2D powerhouse, but it's going to land in a market that demands 3D polygons. And here is that next little ripple in the cup that might have warned Sega what was coming. STC's previous floundering attempt to understand what Sony could even do in the games market is so far proving correct, though, because we've mostly got movie tie-in games here. Not content with filling the world with Walkmans,
1: electronic giant Sony is now turning its attention to the video game market, and it's just listing a few games that Sony are working on. Oh, film games. Last Action Hero, Cliffhanger. Bram Stoker's Dracula.
0: What a weird one. (laughs) Yeah, I, mean, I don't remember a game of that. You know, for kids. And Cliffhanger, which was just rubbish. And Hook. I don't, I don't think I ever played a video game of Hook, which surprises me, because I was into Hook. Oh, sorry, I missed Hook. Yeah, it's just the one yeah. word. Hey, speaking of rubbish films, uh,
1: down here it says uh, <laughs> Hollywood is falling over itself to cash in on the video game scene. Currently in the works are live-action films based on Double Dragon and Mortal Kombat. Let's hope they're better
0: than Super Mario Brothers. <laughs> defeated probably my very first indication that there were people out there somewhere in the world who didn't think the super mario brothers movie was amazing
1: oh
0: dear, dear. <laughs> it's great don't listen to stc
1: i mean it's probably better than double dragon
0: mortal kombat was better than it <laughs> i understand it was yeah i haven't watched it so perhaps you've
1: never seen the mortal kombat movie and you were a child in 1993 hmm.
0: It was a fighting game. Who cares? Yeah, but mind I, you, I know I did watch. I watched the Street Fighter movie. Well, maybe that put you off. Maybe the Mortal Kombat movie was so completely off my radar because I would I assumed I wouldn't be allowed to watch it because of the spine ripping, which I imagine isn't in it.
1: Uh, it's not that I can recall.
0: No, but yeah, no, I watched the Street Fighter Two movie, and it was the very first time I was disappointed by a film.
1: Oh, really? Wow. Yeah.
0: I didn't <laughs> know it was possible.
1: Just the the concept of disappointment was <laughs> woof. That's. It was just so boring. The last uh, story here is Sonic's high Q rating. Mm. Move along, Mario. Make way, Mickey Mouse. Sonic's taking over in America. It was discovered recently that Sonic's Q rating, a measurement of the popularity of media celebrities, media spelled with a capital M there for some reason, is the highest of any cartoon characters. This means he's now overtaken a certain overweight plumber as the top Mm. video game superstar. Is anyone surprised? We certainly weren't because... We were eleven, and we lived in the UK, where, as you say, Sega had absolutely won the console war at this point. Just survive, just to the bills. Oh, this is oh gosh! You can hear this ad in your head, can't you? Can't you? She's got it. Get yours the first Thursday of every month. <laughs> Sega Power, Britain's biggest and hardest Sega magazine and there'd be some like metallic clunking noises in there yes. somewhere you know what i mean splice that together make that thing i will you know some there would be hisses of steam <laughs> and some dull thumping
0: music in the background you're gonna hear it this is sega power advertised entirely on the basis that this woman who only appears here as a pair of eyes exists yep that's it and then we've got a full page just full of tiny little letters listing all the games you can get from a dodgy mail order service that lead this is the kind of service it is it has to lead with a promise that they're all genuine uk UK versions versions, yeah
1: i mean these prices are pretty good though you can get a sega Sega mega drive 2 with yep. Sonic 2, with yep. a Sony 14-inch FST KVM1400 color TV monitor, and a SCART lead div for 295
0: That is pretty good. Um. Oh, I also like... Oh, gosh, look. I'm sure you've seen these mail-order catalog things yourselves, readers, but imagine columns and columns and columns of megalomania. $44.99, 35 99 Mickey and Donald, $39.99, 30 49 I don't know what... Oh, that's RRP versus our price. yes. So, Michael Jackson's Moonwalker RRP 1999. Our price 17.9. Columns and columns comes columns of these in tiny letters. But then you get the joypad section, the leads section, a hi fi lead Mega Drive to stereo system allows Mega Drive 1 to be connected stereo. Misc, you've got the Action Replay Pro cartridge, the Game Genie dust covers for I your mean, Mega Drive. Gosh,
1: once you go past the games, though, I suppose, no, Dave, you came up with an Amiga and computers and everything, so you probably knew how to make these things work. But as yeah. far as I was concerned, Lead. Leads were just the witchcraft.
0: Oh, mate! A lead is the difference between playing your Mega Drive in mono and playing it in stereo. I know. you got to get look, that stereo I sound. I know
1: this in abstract, but <laughs> I'll, but like the the switch and that would go in and that was yeah. there. But if that was and what where did where, where did these three colored ones go? I d- no, it was all, Oh I, gosh, that, yeah. was, that was a job for mommy and daddy. Hard to It idea. was. Video games only work on channel zero.
0: Oh, uh, yes. I was able to get that to work because I was someone who um, was fond of recording TV theme tunes and oh, adverts course, and video yes. game music. So I knew all about phono to phono. You, you, you or headphone to electronically phono. Electronically enabled. Yeah. But this is, this bit's exciting. Here's a column of manga videos. Oh, what was oh, out I, in
1: 1993? I genuinely didn't look close enough at this. The letters were too tiny and I was getting bored reading an advert <laughs> for adults in my comic for children.
0: I didn't even look at it at the time. I just spotted it now. We only accept posted stroke faxed orders for videos with an 18 certificate please write i am over 18 on your order (laughs) so you can get three by three eyes rated 18 10.99 i won't read all the prices but i will read the titles three by three eyes part two akira akira double pack i don't know what comes with it uh-huh. Um, maybe it was a two-parter in those days. What else we got here? Crying Freeman? Yeah. Dominion Tank Police? Mm-hmm. Doomed, <laughs> Doomed Megalopolis? Megalopolis.
1: <laughs> I've never heard of that one. Me neither. I mean, Crying Freeman, Dominion Tank Police, Fist of the North Star. Yeah. These are the staples of watching anime in the 90s. Absolutely. Which I didn't do. No. But I recognize them now as the sort of thing that you would see in that section and, of and, Woolies or wherever. I mean, we're recording this just as Neon Genesis Evangelion has gone up yeah. on, uh, on Netflix.
0: No sign of that on here. Uh, no, well, it wouldn't have... Oh you're right yet.
1: We're only a few years out from it. But yeah, uh, so it's leading to a lot of people reminiscing about the um, phenomenon of buying videotapes two episodes at a time and mm. you had to make a choice between uh, subtitled or dubbed.
0: I mean, even in the DVD days we watched Evangelion on DVD and you mm. still yeah, had to that's pay something. Yeah.
1: 20 quid for 3 episodes. Yeah. yeah, that's still what it was like even back then.
0: We've got Heroic Legends of Arislan, Judge Lensman, Odin L- Lensman, Lensman, I know, yeah. We've talked about that before. Odin Project Echo, Project Echo Tetsuo the Iron Man. And and the one that I'm leading to here is Urotsuki Doji, The Legend of the Overfiend. Jeez, I didn't look down far enough. The idea that Do that... Do you know it? You could
1: even... Of course, I, I grew up <laughs> it, in the 90s, Dave. Of course, I know it.
0: its It invented the tentacle thing. Let's leave it at that.
1: That's it. Well, I mean, you know, this is actually historic. This is the sort of thing this podcast talks about again.
0: Let's not leave it at that, then. I've got stories. Tell because me yours.
1: Because of... No, I didn't see this until I was an adult, but I was aware of it. I think it is essentially solely because of this film that yep. UK culture and media believed that that's all Japanese cartoons were for really? a long time. I remember very well reading an article in the Sunday Times Culture Magazine I guess that would have been in the late 90s about how that's all Japanese cartoons were, sex and filth and violence. Hmm. And I put it down to that honestly, because they felt like that was an okay thing to list in this comic for children.
0: I know, it's so strange.
1: Um, on- underneath the all the rest of these other things like yeah like i mean sure sure these things are 15s and 18s but that's pornography
0: that is pornography yeah my story of urotsuki doji is that um a boy in my class gave it to me on video one day because his story i don't know why he gave it to me but what he told me was that he wanted me to hide it from his mum because he was... For some reason, he'd got the idea that his mum was going to search his room today for some mm-hmm. reason and, and he wanted this hiding away and hide it away. I did and I and I watched it and goodness oh. me, it's quite... Have you seen it? As an adult, yes. Yeah. I was 15 when I saw it. It's- and look at you now. Look what became of you. Well, I mean, listen, I went through a strong anti-anime phase and it may have been because of this. There was something... I
1: would something- say you... Uh, yeah, I could believe it, definitely. A friend of mine, Jeff, same friend, tells the story about yes. the exploding Mega Drive from episode three. Um... <laughs> Did have an unfortunate encounter with this when he was younger. No, oh, how unfortunate? Well, it was one of those situations where um, it was shelved with the cartoons in the video shop. Oh, wow. So, yeah, he, he was uh, exposed to that very early on, and I don't think wow. it was until he uh, met me in the early 2000s that I would have been like, no, there's good anime. Huh. Try, it, try this one. Try Asamon Gadaio. That'll soften you up.
0: <laughs> <laughs> wow. What a funny life
1: he leads. <laughs> Exploding mega drives and pornographic cartoons. Let's all go over there. Yeah. Golden Axe. Legend of the Golden Axe. Plague of Serpents, Part 1. The classic creative team, written by Mark Isles, art by Mike White, letters by Ellie Deville. Heading home after their last adventure, Axe Battler, Tyrus Flair, and Gilius Thunderhead stop off at Gilius' home, Rockguard, only to find it under attack from the forces of the Snake Priest Cobraxus, who mm-hmm. is out to capture the Dwarves' queen. While Gellius goes to the aid of his father, Tyrus finds herself overcome by dwarves who have been hypnotized by Cobraxus's snakes. An axe is unable to come to her aid as he too has fallen under the serpent's hypnotic
0: spell. I'm excited to have Axe back. I am. Fair enough. (laughs) (laughs) This not as entertaining to me as the uh, last couple of episodes of the previous story.
1: Well, we're back to setting some stuff up here. Mm. I feel like the sense of humour is definitely more clearly on display Mm -hmm. with this one than it was at the very start. You know, Gilius is busy eating a bag of beetles, (laughs) while the others deal with a giant snake that appears outside of uh, the dwarven stronghold. This, This follows on directly from the end of the previous one, because they're on their way back home to return the golden axe to the king of. Urea, which is where we left them at the end of the previous serial.
0: Yes, and it's a format that if they were to continue it on would serve them well, because it can be like, you know, on the trail towards whatever, they face this thing. There's a certain sense of humour to the bits that don't seem to be displaying it, or or at least a lightness. I quite like the bit where, you know, Tyrus is up against the snake and she goes, I think it'll listen to the golden axe! And she just like, slices open with the axe. Gosh, that that does say, it'll
1: listen, doesn't it? I thought that said, I'll listen, and I've thought that for 25 years.
0: Oh, Ooh, so you thought she was consulting the opinion of the Golden Axe it's like yep the Golden Axe reckons cut half.
1: yeah it will just say it'll listen I literally never know the I and the T look too close together I blame the latter <laughs>
0: <laughs> but it's that she's uh, I don't know it's something about that the fact that she's car- even though it's totally like po-faced and sensible and serious that bit mm. What she's doing is the the great magical golden axe of legend that they've gone to get. She's just using it as an axe. She's it's an axe. She's right, just whacking a baddie is, uh, with it. Yeah. I find that Whack. more lighthearted this time round than I would have done when I was started reading the first series. I think
1: quite uh, again like like the first series though. Not afraid of a bit of the old gore. No, she chops that snake up good. And there's little guys getting stabbed and run through. Like it's it's all a bit bloodless this time. No blood. But, um, yeah,
0: and also no contribution from Abby uh, on the blood this time round either. <laughs> but you can see when she cuts open that snake it's well it's all neck i was gonna say it's neck but yeah. an area that reads as the neck explodes yes. outwards in little chunks and bits and yeah t- t- sort of little tassels that all sorts of
1: snakes getting chopped and run through all through the course of this but there are people who like wind up with axes in their back and everything, oh, I, love the where,
0: they, uh... <laughs> I love the bit where i love the bit where axe battler goes like twice on the same page he goes do not block my path serpent and he just puts his sword through a snake just through it Boink!
1: That's some very precise stabbery. Yeah. Rather than lop its head off, he actually, you know, turns
0: it sideways and gets it lengthwise, puts it but- in, <laughs> and then just like three panels later does the same thing to a man just boom to a bloke yeah it's like
1: hold your sword right you weirdo I wouldn't be surprised if that was a standards and practices thing to be honest because if you you know slash at someone you're tearing them the sword will come away with gore and everything but I suppose the the direct act of stabbing only puts the blade in so there's no big spray there's no big arc it's probably not as violent maybe they got some feedback and it's like stop slashing everybody you can slash the
0: snakes (laughs) it's okay
1: if you chop the snakes and we can even see the meaty rings in between between, as we see on the next page here. oh
0: yes but people have to get stabbed yeah maybe so we have a drawing of axe battler standing there in, in quite a twee sort of dancey pose with his sword mm. in a man's you know not exactly heart but that sort of area yes actually should, should should specify that these evil forces these serpent priests they are people
1: Yes, they're not snakes. No. Just in case you thought they were snake creatures or snake men. No, they merely I
0: mean, command snakes.
1: I do love the whole thing about the snakes hypnotizing people. Oh yeah. I love, yeah. The, the, I love the, that that panel there on the second page of Let's uh, talk about that. Yeah. Yeah, of the fight scene where where they enter and they see the fight already in progress as the forces of Cobraxis and the dwarves are going at it. Well,
0: what they're entering is the the dwarvish stronghold yes, of Rockguard. Stronghold Rockguard. And so what they're looking at Is it's essentially like a a deep pit dug into the floor, Mm. and there around the outside as they come in, so we see a close up of this big brawl between dwarves and. Firstly, and the snake guys, kind of, who are there... Because yeah, they're tall, so they stand out, first of all. They're holding, like, Jafar Cobra s- Commander or... Sur- or Jafar, yeah. see, you say
1: Jafar, I'd say Cobra yeah. Commander. Uh, staffs of, of cobra-hooded staffs. But then you look a little closer and you see that some of the dwarves are fighting with other oh, the dwarves, dwarves. Because some of the dwarves have been hypnotised by the snakes that these priests are have brought with them. And they're, like, coiled around their necks and perched up over their heads, guiding them in fighting the other dwarves.
0: And if that wasn't clear enough, prominently in the bottom left, we see a... A, a close up actual of a dwarf being, being hypnotized oh, with actual proper beams beams coming <laughs> beams from the, coming the snake's the eyes, eyes. Yeah. yeah um it's great what a cool image that is it's a really good panel and and then separated the layout is great because separated from all that up yeah. in the corner is the head priest of the snake priest you can tell because he's got three different coloured snakes wrapped around his neck and his with robe their heads poking out instead behind instead of
1: white like all the others he's yeah. got a different coloured robe and he's got more snakes that's easy peasy yeah. that's all you know <laughs> uh, he's not a super threatening villain though though because well first of all snakes are kind of cool when you were a kid anyway and we're getting back to that animal themed stuff you were talking about earlier but I was always kind of into snakes and the idea that okay. they get hit in the top. I, li- I like the bastard animals like snakes and <laughs> bats and shit <that. laughs> <laughs> um <laughs> <laughs> when I was younger um, dinosaurs were coming in obviously so reptiles yeah. were hot right now as well we were yeah. just off the turtles heading into dinosaurs snakes were in the middle there somewhere but um, he's uh, that Jafar comparison you make with the staff is pretty apt he's not a <laughs> kind of villain he's not a he's, he, you can tell he's got a very high voice because his yeah. laughter is always written out as is <laughs> a little shrill giggle otherwise it is we do just follow the three characters as they fight then um, um, oh, yeah. Tyrus is the one who gives a good account of herself chopping snakes and that axe i like this axe stabs the priest you mentioned that but then the snake that was in the priest's hands leaps onto axe and manages to hypnotize him but then he's got his hands up with a sword so as he falls under the hypnotism his grip on his sword slackens and he drops a sword and the sword comes comes right down chops the snake's head off so that oh
0: i didn't even notice that you realize i just i guess i just didn't look to the handle of the sword so i assumed he chopped it off (laughs) But yeah. yeah no. uh, also, I didn't read where it actually it says, says Axe's, Axe's sword slips, slips from for his grass. Grass. Yeah, So, mm. so we,
1: we leave this particular uh, chapter with Axe hypnotized, but with no master to direct him. So I, if I remember right, he spends a lot of this serial wandering around hypnotized. <laughs> really? I do. I hope so. I love this bit with uh, Gilius's dad. He, yeah. He gets stabbed by one of the serpent priests, uh, the fangs of one of their staff, and he, he seems to think he's dying, but I'm. I don't know. I feel like this the, it might be played for comedy. We'll see where it goes in the next chapter. I genuinely don't remember. Then Gilius plunges his axe into the back of the priest who just stabbed him. That guy's definitely dead. Yep. But I love this line then whenever Gilius goes to his apparently dying father's side. How are you feeling? Gilius, what are you doing here? How do you think I'm feeling, boy? I'm dying. Oh, you got anything to eat? This dying's giving me an appetite. <laughs>
0: <It's good laughs> Dwarfs say. Yes. What are they like?
1: Yeah, the the cliffhanger to this one is a bit weird actually because like you know then that scene ends with Gilius saying time to end this fight with some thunder magic Then he doesn't do Mm. any thunder magic and it cuts away to Tyrus fighting um, some possessed dwarves she tries to only use the flat of the axe against them because she didn't want to hurt them but um, they're sinking their swords into her rightly so uh, she has to start cutting them down and then one of the priests creeps up behind her so the cliffhanger is again noticeably actually it's Tyrus in peril
0: again oh yes yeah, yeah. We had that in the first although not the kind
1: not no not quite this in, but- in this
0: particular instance not the hands tied kind of peril not so that's as much no but mm, it's a phenomenon isn't it you notice it don't you as soon as she's wounded she can't do the flat of the blade thing now she goes no choice now wounded Wounded. that's that dry
1: deadpan mark isle scripting again could you give me an exclamation mark even no choice now (laughs) full stop wounded full stop hey this isn't echo the dolphin where that communicates a weird etherealness it just makes it sound like you're not very bothered and it just makes it sound dull and dry and disconnected from the dialogue is disconnected from the actual
0: events surrounding it and then up behind her comes the the priest with his Jafar stick up and he says, for the serpent god. So he's obviously about to, I don't know, either clock her with it or summon a big snake. We'll find out. Stab
1: her with it, I would assume. Oh, do you think so? Has it got a pointy well, it's end? Got, it's got the, the fangs in it. That's how one of the other ones gets Gilius' dad.
0: Oh, right. Yeah. Do you know, I clearly was not paying attention when I read this.
1: Clearly. So you can't have been that excited about Golden Axe being back. I
0: was excited about it being back, but this episode was very basic. It was a fight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we've you know
1: we've seen some of these serials do chapter long fight scenes before shinobi but um they were good this one not so much so we'll see how it goes again um might be one that'll pick up as we move along i don't remember loathing it or anything from when i was younger but um q zone the q zone it's
0: As usual, it's just two pages of tips and cheats and things. Um, Nothing
1: too much. What have we got? Lemmings. Cyborg Justice I've never heard of, but I do love the name. (laughs)
0: Uh, Uh, says it's a real beat-em-up game.
1: uh, Micro Machines, James Pond, Robocod.
0: Now, James Pond, I want to mention this because this is the famous Robocod, Cheat Cheat. Mm. For those of us who had this game, the way that Robocod worked was that there were The collectibles in the game were, instead of, like, coins or rings or whatever, they were loads of different stuff. So you just went around hoovering them up, and they were literally all sorts of different things to the point where I can't remember any of them now and I'm not going to try. But the cheat for this game was that in the first room, I think it was the first room, one of the first rooms, if you could collect the collectible things in the order that would... The first letter of what they were. So in this case, a cake, a hammer, the Earth, just a little planet Earth an apple, and a tap. If you collected them in that order, which was not the order they were arranged on the screen, Mm. that spelled out cheat, and suddenly you got... Invincibility. Invincibility.
1: And then if you went to the sports zone and collected the lip, the ice cream, the violin, (laughs) the earth, and the snowman, you got lives. Lives infinite lives. Had to like the cheek of the Mortal Kombat tip over here on the right, one oh, of the that. most hyped games ever to grace a Mega Drive. Mortal Kombat has proved to be a very good beat-em-up, but still not up to the standards of Street Fighter 2. <laughs> <laughs> says Dave oh, Gibbon. I'm not sure how that would have been taken back in the day because, you know, like in the console wars and everything, Street Fighter was the yeah. nice game. Mortal Kombat was the Mega Drive game, so you, yeah, obviously though they had released Street Fighter on the Mega Drive, but yeah. without the six-button joypad, um, I looked it up recently to see how that worked, and you had to tap start to toggle between punches and kicks on the three buttons on the Mega Drive Joypad.
0: Golly gosh, not very useful. that's
1: no good at all. Um, So, yeah. But just below that is not, yes. a, not a cheat at all. It's just like it's the only spot of free space they had in the magazine to slip this in. So. It's a little editorial box. It's titled Human Error, and it's got Megadroid's little hand on it. It says, Megadroid here just popped in to tell you that a human-type error crept into the news zone in STC 10 in an item about the new Mega Drive 2. And indeed
0: into our podcast in, yes, a, in episode 10.
1: because we commented on this in an item about the new Mega Drive 2 and Mega CD 2, a price of $249.99 was given which some of you might have thought to be the price of both units together not true I'm afraid they're sold separately at $129.99 for the Mega Drive 2 complete with Sonic 2 and $249.99 for the Mega CD 2 with Road Avenger they're on sale now and are absolutely great unlike the Humes who think they run this comic And, and we, we did think at the we time were excited about, about the, the, that. Hey, two four nine nine nine—that's a great price for those two things. Do you know what?
0: And I—I I, I was actually editing this one yesterday, and uh. what I say is, "Wow, I would have put an extra hundred on top of that at least." <laughs> yeah, one hundred and thirty
1: to be precise. Yeah. So yeah, there's a goof, and they suckered us with it too, because today that sounds almost reasonable for what money was like back then, because it didn't matter back yeah. then, because two hundred and fifty pounds, three hundred and eighty pounds, when you're eleven, it's like they're both inconceivable, insurmountable sums of money. So. what? one's as good as yeah.
0: the other. It's like the concept of how there are technically mathematically larger and smaller infinities. I, oh, God.
1: Oh, my brain. No. Uh, <laughs> I know that in the abstract, but no, it's, it's a Sunday afternoon. I can't handle it.
0: <laughs> Decap Attack. Decap Attack, starring Chuck D. Head, part Four, written and drawn by Nigel Kitching Letters by Steve Potter With Frank N. Stein's efforts to create It doesn't matter what happens Listen, It tr- truly doesn't He's right, you know. Fra- Frank N. Stein's efforts to create an army of the undead For Max D. Cap going nowhere Max sends his minions out to capture Chuck Still bumbling around the castle's lower levels So that Stein can simply clone him Accosted by Max's goons, Chuck tries to throw a bomb at them, but he gets mixed up and hurls head instead and places the bomb between his own shoulders where it blows up and takes out another of his three lives. Now. That's, that's technically what happens in the comic. That is what happens, yeah, but... That's not the point. It's physically
1: impossible to convey the point of Decap Attack in a summary, boomer. I know. You've got to read it for yourself. For instance, like, yes, Frankenstein's efforts to create an army of the undead from Max Decap are indeed going nowhere, as we find out on the first page where Stein tries to explain why this is the case and Igor does nothing but stick his head in from off-panel and make fun of him. <laughs> The conditions that enabled me to reanimate Chuck were very delicate. Their chemicals had to be just so. Their electrical storm had to be In perfect. Other words, it was a complete
0: fluke. Shut up, Igor, or I'm going to give you such a hit! Yes, I, that struck me as strange. I feel as if the word there is thump oh such a hit no that sounds right to me with the voice but what we've described in the summary i sort of wonder if we should even do summaries for decap attack i have wondered it because but but it's for the listeners who haven't read it so they know well yes but what the summaries do is it tells listeners who haven't read it what happens what happens here what we have described is a series of gags yeah yeah that's what happens yeah and actually it's nigel turning a game mechanic into a funny joke because in the game you, you know you're walking along with this skull on your shoulders and you throw it at enemies and here in the comic he's got this bomb and there's this little joke about how he how he got it off panel between yeah. episodes
1: there's a, a, in the art of the footnotes the comic. quick the bomb the one we found lying about in the armory don't panic boomers you haven't missed an issue chuck just found this between episodes you see how sneaky this writer is and then in the very next <laughs> panel chuck goes to light the bomb and the footnote <laughs> says naturally chuck also find matches in the same place they find the bomb he's very sneaky
0: <laughs> <laughs> and so so he's got this bomb and the mi- you know then the re- basically the rest is only four pages long it so it's just quick me. jokes The it's a mix up he throws the what looks like the bomb and then it turns out he threw head and he's got a bomb on his shoulders but listeners go and read this comic because the way that simple joke is drawn is so funny it's really funny when he looks up and he's got this bomb and then it explodes and then there, as I was opening the, the whole comic to read over it for this Abby said oh there's a really funny drawing in decap attack this issue and she just has remembered that since 1993
1: it, it, it's his mashed up face after the bomb it's his mashed gone up off. face after the bomb's <laughs> gone <laughs> off
0: it's that one of the monsters goes is he okay because <laughs> all he wanted to do was you know get him like a bad guy and it, yeah, he's he didn't just, expect the like, whole head to get blown he's been
1: up. reduced to like uh, there's, defi- there's, there's two eyes there's a nose and there's a tongue and there's definitely a a pile of, you know, connective flesh linking him up, but it's just a sort (laughs) of just a sort of puddle sitting where his face used to be it's so funny just above it's a full half page nearly two thirds page yeah. uh, of the bomb exploding and yeah it's which it looks like in-
0: Nigel's done by like you know dipping toothbrushes in paint and just spraying them all over the page
1: what you have to remember is that's not just a bomb exploding we learned last issue when the vampire attacked and the Chuck's blood is purple <laughs> <laughs> you're right this massive purple <laughs> airbrush spray is actually Chuck's blood <laughs> fountaining out of him <laughs> and they get only
0: get away with it because it's purple oh that's gorgeous oh that's fantastic uh, and, and that is that is a game mechanic turned into a joke i like the bit earlier where they're just wandering around the castle i think that kind of reads like you know trying to it's find like your way out the of the game level
1: is happening off yeah panel.
0: yeah but it's happening in a jokey silly way yeah. and then after all this happens, you have the amazing readers. Listen, do try and have a look at this picture. It's really, really funny. And Decap Attack generally it's yeah, I mean, really uh, great.
1: I mean, we, we, it was established last issue that Chuck has three hearts and only two are working. So the idea is that he has lives now. So we have a little status box introduced this issue. When the bomb explodes, it takes out another of his three lives, you know. Yeah, um, Nigel's got him down to one life. Quite down to one quickly. life already. It's almost over. Chuck the bomb. Will you pack in this Chuck the Bomb stuff? I love, uh, or this one um, I, we, we mentioned it before last issue that Tom Patterson Calamity James energy on the, on the yeah. second page um, where a little rat just comes in from the corner we're holding a sign that says this strip is unfair to rats yes and it's
0: like this strip hasn't done anything to
1: rats yes yeah, there's no little,
0: I was keeping my eyes peeled there's yeah. no mention of rats it's anywhere no, in this. it hasn't been unfair
1: to rats at all but it's just a little gag it ends then as well with Chuck's been bombed into oblivion and they're ready to. is he okay well, he just had a bomb explode between his shoulders well, that's a relief and then the final final panel of the strip is just a close-up of a head and he says i don't know everyone's looking at me i don't have
0: anything to say it's like nigel and i respect this deeply it's like he had extra space left over on the page and he just put the skull going well i don't know what you're looking at me for (laughs) that was the end of it
1: (laughs) oh it's so good it's
0: so good i feel like i feel like i'm Licking feet too hard with this. I know, but
1: I didn't expect to find myself enjoying it as much. You know, I thought I thought maybe. Oh, I'm liking
0: it more now than I did. uh, Yeah, I thought maybe
1: going back to it, I would I would find that it was a bit too goofy and kid targeted. But going back to it, and I when I truly see now how (laughs) anarchic it was and how much kids would have loved it because we said it about Streets of Rage, and it's not wholly different but there is the sense about it that you are getting away with the little bit in the same way that something like round the bend got away with stuff where they're making gags and doing things like that's a that's a massive blood fountain on the final page (laughs) of the comic that's a bit cheeky we've made the tom patterson comparison it's cut from the same sort of cloth as the beano you know stuff like that Mm. but it's making jokes the beano couldn't get away with Mm. there is a sense of getting away with it with this comic again
0: whatever it is That has ever existed That's this all the way through I want I think Oink is probably that There was another magazine I remember reading One or two issues of Around the same time
1: That was something like that again Uh, I do not remember What it was called though And I did only read one or two But I have always remembered Some jokes from it No recollection What the comic was Tell me there was one character in it the whole gag was just that he vomited that was it whatever it was called it was like kind of like viz for kids Yeah, right. and on the letters page one of the little features one of the little box out sections of the letters page was this character's euphemisms for throwing up and one of them on there that I've always remembered as a euphemism for throwing up was emptying the sprout pouch <laughs> <laughs> and listeners oh. boomers if you know what comic I'm referring to again write in and let me know because I do not remember but I've always remembered Emptying the sprout pouch. Robert Matthews accidentally cut the top off his little finger and had to go to hospital so couldn't draw a picture? Yikes! Yes! Uh, I presume he doesn't mean he literally cut off the whole upper, above the knuckle, he probably just sliced the top of his finger, but. Yes!
0: Yeah, I was going to draw you a picture that that an end to that. And Megadroid replies, well, Robert, at least that explains the handwriting. <laughs> I do like the gentle ribbing that they feel they're able to give. Yeah,
1: that, that's a... Well, you know, look at this one over here, right? Craig Renlinson from Blairgowrie says that when he bought STC number three, he thought it was Ace, but his dad got so fed up with him reading it, he threw it out the car window. Oh, and th- that's that's presented as, as like a, oh, dads, what are they like? Yeah. Oh, cheerful anecdote, and Megadroid. Great jokes, at least you weren't reading the Encyclopedia Britannica. It could have been a pilot. Of- yeah, that's child abuse. That's child abuse. I mean um, it kind of is, right? That, yeah, that's how yeah, it reads that, to that, me. That's child abuse. Yeah. I um, wanted
0: him to stop the car so I could get it back, but he wouldn't. And it's yeah. like he's literally just fed up with his child reading that mm. he takes the thing and throws I it out of a it car. It is
1: possible. We only have the child's point of view. Eh? The child could have been really, really, really being annoying. There is that possibility. <laughs>
0: It but, still uh, reads as, like, throw it on the back seat, Dad, not out the window, no, you out know? The window, yeah, that yeah, is a man yeah, yeah. with a temper. I am concerned about Craig Reynolds. I am concerned about Craig Reynolds. Craig, if you're out there, do drop us a line. Do drop us a line, and uh, we will take your side. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we are uh, in the inevitable court case. <laughs> I also like the um, Josh Wizkid Harvey from Calva Sheffield. <laughs> I really like the idea of combining a comic with a computer magazine, but I have some queries. Why do Sonic and Tails wear gloves? Are their hands rotting or something? Curious conclusion to jump to. Megadoid makes the logical response.
1: If gloves are good enough for a certain mouse, they're good enough for a hedgehog and fox. Obviously, that's why he wears gloves. This is a classic cartoon trope.
0: Yeah, the other question is, what's Robotnik's first name? And I don't mean Doctor. And, well, listener, you should know by now, so write in. (laughs) (laughs) No, Dave, I actually want to ask you a question. Okay. What is Doctor Robotnik's first name? It's not a
1: trick question. Just tell me. Ivo. Right. That's what I would say too. Good, and I'm pretty sure that even Adventures of Sonic the Hedgehog might use Ivo too. Yes. Do you know what it's supposed to be? What do you mean supposed? It's supposed to be pronounced, Evo. Oh. It's in the it's in the Bible. And oh. um, there was even a, there was a. Sorry, you mean the Sonic? This it's in the Sonic God, Bible, yeah, yeah, not the Bible. And right. God said it's pronounced <laughs> Evo. Robotnik's first name. <laughs> it's in the Sonic Bible, and when they did one of those Sonic takeover Twitter things in oh. the last year or two, when they had Robotnik, well, Eggman these days, when yeah. they had Mike Pollock recording audio answers to tweets sent in by followers, someone yeah. asked what his first name was, and oh. he was Evo. Even said it then. And um I'm sorry. Huh. No. No. Never. We've said Ivo on this podcast a couple I'm going to of continue times. To to say Ivo. Yeah. Those episodes haven't dropped yet at the time of this recording, but if you're about to tweet us and complain about it, please know
0: no. retroactively we don't care and we have ignored you. It's Ivo. In fact, I'll go as far as to say that Mike Pollock got it wrong. He'd been given bad direction based on the one
1: I do feel like Adventures might have used Ivo.
0: Ivo Robotnik
1: Sounds Ivo right, doesn't it? Robotnik. Hmm. But I can't swear um, no. because I don't know for the life of me. But it was the first time I'd ever heard the very notion it was supposed to be pronounced
0: "Evo." Do you know though? Now that you say it, it does make sense because it's it's O V backwards. No, well, it's I mean, it's not though. It was Ivo first. Oh yes. Although
1: was it? Because that's
0: handy, isn't it? The O V is means egg. Well, Ivo was a name, isn't it? I guess. Is it? I don't know. know. I've only ever heard it from Robotnik. Hang
1: on, we're going to Google now. (laughs) Ivo is a masculine given name in use in various European languages.
0: And how do they pronounce it?
1: (laughs) There's an English pronunciation, but of course it's Wikipedia, so they are all listed in the uh, IPA, the International Phonetic Alphabet, so they're completely useless to normal people. (laughs) Ivo has the genitive form of Ives in the place name St. Ives. In France, oh. the usual variation of the name is Yves. In the Hispanic countries of Latin America, the name is commonly spelled Evo with an E, but Ivo is still the more common spell. So,
0: it's completely up for grabs, by the sounds I, of it.
1: I... well, fictional characters, Dr. Ivo Robotnik. <laughs> <laughs> uh, or Ivo Shandor from Ghostbusters,
0: and he's Ivo. Is he? Who's that? Isn't he? I don't know, who is it? He built the building. Oh, God, I can't remember the name of the guy. Who oh, for something. goodness sake, Dave. I can't remember his name or how it's pronounced. It's
1: from Ghostbusters. You grew up in the 80s. I did. <laughs> I'm just going to YouTube it. Yeah. Yeah. They said Evo. <laughs> okay, well, okay, Let's. so Chris, we
0: established that it's supposed to be pronounced Evo. What we've got wrong here is that we were just wrong. Yes,
1: we were just wrong. But, but we're going to persist in it. We're not going to never not be wrong because I've literally never heard a single Well, person. I'm calling him
0: Ivo. You know what this is? This is a GIF situation. I'm just going to yeah, call I him you're Ivo. right.
1: I'll, oh, certainly, you're not changing me after 25 years. <laughs> no. He's always going to be Ivo. I'm pretty sure the Justice League cartoon referred to Professor Ivo, creator of the Amazo Android, <laughs> as Professor Ivo, and his name is Ivo. So I will use that as my validation, and the rest of y'all can... Uh, well, you know what? <laughs> we're, we're recording it's this super spin. now for, for issues... <laughs> You could supersonic spin on it. <laughs> Next issue, it's another free <laughs> gift. Put a true star on oh, your nice. Christmas tree with this Megasonic Christmas decoration. Uh, I remember this. It was a piece of cardboard yep. with a little vector art piece of Sonic on it. Yep. Plus, don't miss Sonic the Hero, Decap Attack, Golden Axe, Echo the Dolphin. You notice that they just list Sonic the Hero.
0: Sonic the Hero.
1: Decap Attack, Golden Axe, and Echo the Dolphin on Jurassic Beach. They really wanted to use that phrase yeah. Jurassic Beach. Get the word Jurassic Jurassic park in. was big. They wanted it in there. You could tell.
0: Get it in as much as possible. On sale
1: Saturday, the twenty seventh of November. It's one pound ten. One pound right ten these days.
0: So there we go, that's another issue. That's
1: issue 13. A jam-packed oh, one, as it turns out. Yeah. I mean, I always think these ones where new serials, start are mm. important ones mm. anyway, but there was a lot going on in there.
0: There was. Very happy to see Echo join the ranks and uh, looking forward to seeing reading more of him next fortnight. So that's it from us for another episode. Uh, if you listen on iTunes, please do uh, leave us a review on there. We've had a couple
1: already, a couple of very nice complimentary five-star reviews are on there, uh, which is very nice to see. So if you listen through iTunes, please do, because it does help push us up through the rankings, gets more eyes on the podcast. You can also get us online at stctp.wigglehe.com, you can like us on Facebook and Twitter through that as well. Uh, if you want to tweet about the show, use the hashtag STCTP, uh, we do look out for it and we do try to reply and retweet as well. Mm.
0: We are also individual people you can follow, you can find me on Twitter at Demontomato Dave, and I'm also on YouTube as Demontomato Dave Twitch, and Twitch, you'll generally see me around. I am at Chris McFeely on Twitter and also under on YouTube too. Our theme tune was synchronized by Sonic the comic the band this was Sonic the comic the podcast and we'll see you again in two weeks time